Welcome to Space Nerds, your source for intergalactic science fiction and science fact. Engines primed, engage! Hey, hey, this is Alexandria. I'm Jane Smith. And I'm Douglas Gale. And I will be bringing you Space News, Star Trek, Duck Space Nine, Firefly, Black Mirror, and probably superhero stuff. Dystopian fiction! Who's excited? I'm Jesse Mercury, and I'll be your constant cosmic companion, bringing you the weekly space news and sitting down with these amazing friends to talk about science fiction. We are Space Nerds! What's up, Space Nerds? I'm here with Douglas Gale. How are you, Doug? Hello! I'm great. Fantastic. We have an awesome show for you today. We have a special guest coming up later in the show. The very first person who was ever on this podcast, besides myself, is my wonderful friend Jeff Tapia. Jeff and I discussed every episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, peppered throughout the first hundred episodes of this show. They haven't been on the show in like two and a half years, but Jeff is coming back today to talk about one of my favorite movies of all time, continuing our journey through Next Generation into the movies with Star Trek Generations! Huzzah! Yay! <laughs> that sounded so crazy. It was like... Talking. It was like... Uh, Generations! Uh, <laughs> uh, Doug, I just... like Your voice was stretched out through weird <laughs> internet shit. And it was like really terrifying, but kind of awesome. Anyway... I, uh- I created my own effects bank for these podcasts. I hope you don't mind. I don't mind at all. It was very effective. (laughs) Um, So, of course, if we're going to talk about Generations, I had to know what Doug thinks about the movie. And we've got some space news to talk about. So there's a lot coming up today. It's going to be awesome. All right. Yeah, I have a couple of quick announcements. Um, First of all, I've been talking about this for about a year on the show that I was working on a music video for my song Moisture Farm. It's a Star Wars music video where I actually put myself into footage from Star Wars, and it is done. It's out, finally. I will put a link in the podcast notes, or you can search for Jesse Mercury Moisture Farm on YouTube and find it. I am thrilled that it is finally out in the universe. So, Doug, you've seen the video. Can you vouch for its quality? Yes, absolutely. Great. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. Okay, thank you. It took me a second because I got cut off yeah uh while you were talking so i was like what are we like the movie that i remembered you were talking about the thing that you'd been working on for the past year yes which is your music video yes that is what i was talking about okay we're having a bad connection today but we're gonna we're gonna make it work yes power through yes um so yes that's available i will put a link in the description check it out if you'd like to see me dancing with (laughs) c3po which is yeah i love i love your weirdo space aesthetic i think it's fantastic well thank you i am just, I'm just being me, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not like this is the, the manufactured, like, I'm adopting a persona. To It's like, nope, this is just who Jesse is. Yeah, this is like years of, like, work to figure out how me can I be. <laughs> right. <laughs> what will they let me get away with? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, another quick announcement. So, yeah, so we're talking about Star Trek Generations, which is like wrapping yourself up in a warm sci-fi blanket, as I as I like to say. I love <laughs> this, this is, movie this so is, much. Yeah, escapism, distraction, comfort food. Absolutely. Yeah, we're really struggling to find the balance of um, knowing how important it is to not go back to business as usual, not go back to life as usual, and not get complacent in allyship and complacent in fighting for 
um, fighting for everybody's rights and continuing to shout that Black Lives Matter because some real change is being made, but at the same time, like some really truly horrendous things are continuing to happen and we just need to keep our awareness up and keep fighting for that. So we're trying Mm -hmm. to figure out like what the balance is of what we want to put out on the show and um, yeah, and all of that stuff is just really difficult and bear with us as we kind of adjust our release schedule and we're just figuring it out as we go. So bear with us. Yeah. Okay, Doug, I have some really exciting space news to talk about. Are you ready for the space news? Yes, I am. Let's do it. Space news! Okay, so this is some really fun space news. This story first broke uh, about a month or two ago. Um, and, and I actually have some additional information about this, not just the original story. Follow-up already. Follow-up already. Follow-up that was from 2008 that a lot of people have missed. I never heard about, but it's really interesting. We're talking about filmmaking in space. So the Ooh. news broke recently that Tom Cruise is making a movie in space with SpaceX and NASA. Uh, Doug Lyman, the director of what movie was it? Um, Edge of Tomorrow, one of Tom Cruise's old movies, is attached to direct this movie. And basically, I mean, long story short, Elon Musk and SpaceX are working to film movies in space on the International Space Station, and Tom Cruise is attached to star in this thing. So that's that's the first bit of news. And how do we? What do we think about this, Doug? Filming a movie in space, finally getting Tom Cruise off of the planet. How do we feel about it? <laughs> I mean, they could just leave him there if they wanted. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, th- I don't know. This is kind of news where I like, I don't feel anything about it. It's, it's, it makes sense. Like, Hey, w- people can go to this place. Therefore we could film things in this place. You know, it's an interesting <laughs> place. So it makes sense that they would film stuff there. It's part of it feels a little weird. Like, but I just don't know anything about the space station. Like, isn't this like, some people work there. Don't they just like, but I guess they probably don't 24 seven just run science stuff. So why not have a bunch of camera crews up there and, uh, you know, uh, film something. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting just in the sense that obviously it's nothing that we have done before, but beyond that, it doesn't really, I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't fire my space news uh, interest. Like Hmm. we've figured out replication or, (laughs) Hey, we're going to build habitats on the moon. We, we discovered uh, water in asteroids or something like that. Something that feels like this is cultural kind of stuff. And I guess maybe an argument could be made that it'll help expand awareness of the space station or get people fired up about it. But, I don't know. I guess I'll have a different opinion when the movie comes out. Because if the movie is great, that'll be like, damn, they filmed this on the space station. That's amazing. Yeah. But if the movie sucks, I'll be like, we should have crashed the space station in the ocean. This is a waste of time. (laughs) Yeah, I am pumped about it. I saw this news and was super excited because I've always wanted to see a movie that was actually shot in space. Um, Mm, Or at least I thought I did. I'll I'll get back to that in a second. But... uh, (laughs) Yeah, so I I love I love this idea. I just think it's really exciting to not just use these technological advancements for science, but also for entertainment. I love right. entertainment. I love escapism. I love science fiction, and I love space. And we're putting it all together, and I'm pumped about it. And I, you know, yeah. Tom Cruise is a controversial figure for his personal life right. um, and his connection to Scientology and all that stuff, but. I've really enjoyed his performances in a lot of movies, and I love his willingness to put his body at risk for his craft. Um, 
It's something yeah. that I, I wouldn't do, but I appreciate his gumption <laughs> and I appreciate that he's the man for the job for this. I, I'm, I'm into it. I'm going to follow this closely. I can't wait to see what it's going to be about. There's so many limitations. The International Space Station is such a small place. And yes, people right. are there working. So as far as bringing actors up, I mean, are they going to bring up more actors than just Tom Cruise? Are they going to use the, the astronauts as background extras? Is it going to be like one man alone on a space station sort of a story? Right. I, we just don't know. I mean, there's, there's so many ways they could go. I'm really curious to see what they write, what they come up with. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. And I, I'm also curious, is it going to feel like some crazy extravagance because they could have done it without being in space? Absolutely. Yeah. Because yes. <laughs> there's no way that it, you, I, you can go ahead and quote me. <laughs> I can't imagine watching this movie and then thinking like, yeah, filming this on the space station was fucking worth it. It shows every, because it's going to be like, Oh, that looks kind of shitty. Like the real space station inside of it is probably going to look terrible versus if they just made up a movie version of the space station where I'd be like, yeah, that looks pretty cool. Pretty realistic. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's do do you, have you ever gone to like court after as an adult? No, like been in a courtroom. No, you go in there and you're like, Oh, this is like some sort of paneled, office room you know it does not give you like the wide uh oak and wood grandeur oh, yes sure court portrays yeah. on tv and movies you're like this is just some shitty office i went to a wedding in a courtroom so i i know okay. what you mean yeah 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 so to me i feel like there's the potential for that for for me for the same thing of like if i watch a documentary about the space station then yeah look it's a space station that's pretty cool but i'm watching like Assuming this is like a big budget movie, I'm probably going to be like, "Ugh, the space station looks like ass." <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because like you've heard of the Vomit Comet, which is this airplane that flies through the atmosphere and it goes like up and down and up and down, and as it right. goes through the peak and back down, it actually creates weightlessness, and that's how they shot a lot of movies. Like Apollo yes. 13 um, was was parts of it were shot that way. So we have movies where people are actually weightless in. Yes on a set that's inside of an airplane that looks like they are in space. Like we already have that. Um, But what we don't have is like an actual movie where you can look out of a window and see earth and it's really there. And that that to me is like the number one thing that kind of piques my interest is, you know, there's no blue screen. There's no green screen. You look out the window and the special effects are done. So (laughs) there's something really cool about that, that I, I just can't wait to see I'm wondering, cause that's this. Yeah, it'll be interesting to talk about once it exists, because then it'll be, did they juice this up a little bit, or they, did they just using the footage? It, yeah, it really depends on what they do with it. I do agree with you. It is interesting in and of itself. Of like, hey, they're filming something on the space station. Yeah, but well, it's, it it's out- also sort of like, oh, look, they filmed Das Boot inside of a submarine, like. Yeah, okay. Who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the hunt for Red October is still boring. <laughs> yeah. uh, you watch your mouth. <laughs> That's the one with Sean Connery pretending to be Russian, right? I, I really like that movie. I watched it like a couple years ago for the first time, and I did not care for it. Okay. Well, you know, it does only take place on Earth, and there's no yeah. fantastical elements to it. So I will say that it does fail on that level. Yeah. If Like I always say, if it doesn't have aliens, I'm not interested. Um, <laughs> Okay, but the really interesting wrinkle in this story is that there's already been a movie shot on the International Space Station. 
In 2008. Oh, yes. In 2008. Oh. So I found this on CNET. It goes all of my information. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. I was just letting you go. It's all right. <laughs> I didn't even know this until literally 10 minutes ago. Um, okay. I just found this article and I, I already watched the whole movie because it's five minutes long and it's definitely not good, but that's okay. Um, so <laughs> is this, it like a student film? Or it like, really is. There? Yeah. This, so this man, Richard Garriott, who is the son of uh, Skylab astronaut Owen Garriott and his mother, who's also an astronaut, who's like in this movie. Um, this guy is one, this is like the sixth uh, person to go to space who's a civilian. And he actually had to do like two years of training to do this. And he had to operate stuff on the Soyuz rocket that he went up to the International Space Station in. Um, oh, so he had to learn how to do all this stuff. And then he wrote and shot this movie on the space station over a couple of days. It's like five cool. minutes long. Um, it's kind of embarrassingly bad, but in a charming way. Sure, uh, sure. Yes. And Richard Garriott yeah. is now the first man to have made a movie in space. And it happened in 2008. Isn't that fucking huh. crazy? That is crazy. Yeah. And this article is really interesting. There's actually a, a video attached to the article. It's like six minutes long describing all the challenges that Tom Cruise and SpaceX will run into shooting in space based off right. of the challenges that they had making this short film and talking yeah. about, you know, changing lenses and, and trying to move around this, the station and everything just floats away and you leave this trail of debris behind you. It's like all your lenses right. are floating away from you. Um, so there's like practical applications that are going to be really difficult to put into place on a big budget picture. Um, and this, I, I love this whole article. I really, I really encourage people to watch this video. I'm going to link to it in the description. Um, the movie is called Apogee of Fear. It's on YouTube and it uses astronauts on the International Space Station as the actors in the movie. And they're all kind of talking about where's Richard? What happened to Richard? Who is, you know, Richard Garriott, the man who wrote this. So the movie's all about him, starring him. <laughs> <laughs> it's very it's very interesting it's like a cultural document that no one knows exists right but, it, but is the first thing filmed in space yeah it winds up being like a footnote in film history yeah absolutely yeah because tom cruise wasn't in it if tom cruise was in it we'd be having a, <laughs> a different story um yeah isn't that crazy that's crazy yeah. i never knew this yeah obviously it was not a big deal when it happened yeah well yeah maybe I mean, they finished the movie and they were like you know what it's first, but I really, we really don't want to push this. Well, it's got uh, nineteen thousand views on YouTube. <laughs> so. There's also something so strange about the idea of like someone went into space and filmed the movie, and he has at nineteen thousand on YouTube. We're like, you do a sick skateboard trick and probably get more than nineteen thousand <laughs> views on YouTube. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you. Yeah. Get a good video of your cat farting, and you're going to get a million views. <laughs> he should have brought a cat to fart in space. That yeah, then that'd be a movie right there. Yeah, it's interesting because like the movie is very uh, student film quality, and if yeah. you are watching, you know, a documentary on the ISS, it's going to look better than this movie. But the fact that it was scripted and shot is the difference. Um, yeah. And that's such an interesting distinction that actually, like, scripting something and shooting it kind of qualifies it as a short film and th it right. and the first of its kind. Whereas right. if it was just, you know, a, a man going to space and shooting what it is in space, that's been done by other people um, before this. So, yeah, interesting distinctions. But, yeah, having, like, a Hollywood movie, a Hollywood crew, 
Tom Cruise is slated to be the first, and I can't wait to see what they come up with. I'm I'm excited about it. Yeah, as long as it's good, because if it's another, if it's a if it's a garbage movie, then again, it'll feel sort of just like a wasted effort or gimmicky for the wrong reason, you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that's the space news. Space news. Space news. All right, so let's get into our our sci-fi topic of the day, which is Star Trek Generations. So I had a deep dive conversation with Jeff Tapia. We're going to get to in a few minutes. I spoke effusively about this movie with Jeff. But before we get to that, I got to know what you think about this movie, Doug, because I always want to know what you think about things that I love, because I expect that you will feel differently. (laughs) Uh, No, I, I like Generations, but I feel like it's not, it's not the best of the Star Trek movies, but it's not the worst of them. It's like a Mm. perfectly okay, work a day, gets the job done Star Trek movie. Like it would have been... I know there's one of the later ones, Nemesis, or I don't. Uh, Nemesis was, was the was, last one with Shinzon. Yeah, what was before Nemesis? Insurrection. Maybe it's Insurrection. This is one of those two where people the dismissively said that it was like, yeah, this has been a fine episode, but is it really a movie worthy kind of thing? And I feel like Generations is like that for me, where mm. it's yeah, this would have been a good like two parter tv special but uh i don't know if it's if it's holds up as a movie for for my money interesting i want to hear more about that because for me i i feel incredibly biased about this movie where (laughs) even as i watch it i can tell that maybe it's not like the best made movie of all time but (laughs) but it hits every box for me ticks every box for me like pushes every button in just the right way all my favorite characters are there uh it's got great themes it's got this like spiritual undertone that i really um connect to and you know i'm talking i i said a lot of this with jeff so i don't want to repeat myself too much Uh, (laughs) but for me it's just like the perfect movie i mean it just really works for me on every level and i love it so much and a lot of that is because of personal bias because it is the next generation crew but also like I just love the structure of it. I love, you know, tying in the original Enterprise crew. I love having like the prologue where you see Kirk and then uh, then you meet with Picard's crew and then Kirk is folded back into the story later on. It just, uh, just like thematically and story-wise, I find it to be like extremely satisfying. And there are yeah. some moments where there's like some plot hole stuff happening, but... <laughs> some? Yeah. And this is this movie is like constant space magic. Like this is the most space magic of Star Trek movies. And oh I, yeah, absolutely. I, I I see now how how this is like a ten out of ten on the mushroom scale, and I feel like I owe you an apology for saying for implying that Star Trek is trying to be like scientific because this it's like this movie throws science out the window in favor of this more like spiritual story, and I love right. that. I love right, it. which is also fine, you know. Yeah. And then there are interesting things that they're they're doing with it you know like i said i if this was a two-parter season you know the end of season whatever beginning of the next season it'd probably be up there with my favorite of the Hmm. uh, of that kind of star trek but um as a movie and among the other star trek movies it just feels average interesting okay so what i want to ask you about specific things what do you think about um obviously we're getting into spoiler territory here what do you think about (laughs) data finally getting his emotions oh i think that was an interesting thing either as a joke 
or as an interesting exploration of emotions in humanity. And they just didn't do really a good job with either one of those things. Hmm. And they, they, they leaned on it really hard. I felt like they just went to that well a lot when he was scared and um, like they were under attack all of a sudden. And then data under normal circumstances would have like, I don't know, lifted up a console and thrown it and grabbed people and gotten out of there. <laughs> just wham, bam, get down to business. But this time he was paralyzed with fear. And that was an interesting thing. But then there was also like no follow up for that. It was just like this roller coaster. And then like at the end of the movie, he's like, I have now experienced 261 emotions. Like, yeah. And the fucking movie made us watch you do all of them. <laughs> so it just kept, it was just like, it just felt so scattershot. It was this feeling of like, let's do everything that we want to do with data and emotions. And yeah. So sometimes it was played seriously and sometimes it was played for laughs, but I guess ironically it was never really played emotionally, which seems like what you would want to do with it. Interesting. But interesting. in terms of narrative stuff and in terms of like Star Trek lore and history and canon and all that, it is fascinating and it is interesting. I do like seeing him have his, his, his emotion chip. Uh, but yeah, I just feel like it was an opportunity, a missed opportunity. It wasn't handled gracefully or I don't know. It wow. just, it, 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 it felt so off for me. It just, I wow, did not. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't really buy into it. I fucking love it. Became, it. it became I love distracting. It so <laughs> <laughs> I some love of them it so were, much. Some of them were super funny and I did like that. Yeah. And like I said, the fear thing was interesting, but at a certain point I was like, okay, like, does anyone understand what emotions are in Star Trek? Because we really, we really just throw this word around. Apparently, I I love seeing a grown man feel emotions for the first time and just have no idea how to handle them or process them. And I also yeah. love what a goofball he is. Um, I just I love it. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. But, but uh, see, I guess that was the other thing is that it was it was like let's give Data new personality traits and say that these are emotions. And that it just I was like, what? So what is going on here? This is. This he's all over the map, and yeah, he should be taken out of service and put in a room somewhere. <laughs> he can't be at work right now. He's going through a goddamn crisis. Yeah, I, I my my only disappointment uh, is that Troy wasn't more involved with helping him come to terms with his emotions because that is her yeah. function on the ship. Um, yes, but besides that, I mean, I love it. I love it so much. Um, but that's okay. We disagree. We always do. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> okay. It's funny because while I was watching the movie, because I've seen it before, uh, one thing I realized is I did, I've did. i never understood what is supposed to be happening in this movie, and it never <laughs> occurred to me to ask what was supposed to be happening. And this time, I'm paying attention, and I know more about Star Trek and things like that. And then I was like, oh, it's really hard to sort out what's going on in this movie. But I was also wondering, like, oh, is the data stuff rubbing me the wrong way now in a way that it didn't when I first watched it? Because I don't remember having any kind of like feelings one way or the other about data's emotion chip. But I think I only kind of focused on a few of the highlights of his emotion chip from before, my memory of it. You know what I mean? Hmm. Yeah, for me, it was like seven years of watching this character grow on the show, wishing for emotions, and me like wishing for him that he could experience emotions. Yes. And then finally getting it. And it's just this wild ride of emotion. And I love it. 
It's I, for yeah. me, it's like really deeply satisfying. And I even love how they develop that. Uh, well, I kind of like how they develop it over the next few films, especially First Contact, which is another incredible movie. But right. it, it kind of like falls to the back burner that Data has emotions to the point where if you watch Star Trek Picard and you haven't seen any of the movies, um, like Andy, wh- who watched Generations with me, um, she like she'd watched Picard, but she hadn't seen Generations. She didn't know that Data had emotions because mm. the way that he's played, it's really hard to tell that he's that he has emotions at all in in Picard, even though we only see him briefly. Um, yes, yeah, which I think yeah, is it seems- true of of Nemesis also. That's like hard to tell in Nemesis that Data has any emotions. I feel like they must have toned it down intentionally, either. For the narrative sense of like, okay, he's come to grips with this. Yeah. Or they watch it and they're like, you know what? We did go a little heavy on that. Yeah. So something that Jeff brought up, and uh, spoiler for the, uh, the the conversation coming next in this podcast, something that Jeff brought up was that um, they felt like Data was so different in this movie that they kind of missed the character from the original show, um, that this didn't feel like Data and they missed that character. Did you yeah, feel that way? I agree hundred percent. Yeah. That, that's, and that, that was, I think a lot of what set me down the path of just like kind of rolling my eyes whenever mm. data showed up again, because that's what I mean when I say like, I feel like they don't, the, the writers didn't put any real thought into what emotions are or what it should mean for this character because it, they, they gave data suddenly these new personality traits, which to me, that's not emotions. It's, I don't know. It just it just felt not very well conceived or executed. Interesting. But I, I think I, they could have. They could have like so. Like lore is just like lore is an asshole. That's just <laughs> that's just who he is. And so it's like, well, what's Data's personality? I don't know. He's all over the map. He's just going wild. But yeah. The, but even that doesn't feel like the way I would expect to have a portrayal of feeling a series of overwhelming emotions. You know. It just was like, let's make data the comic relief here. And it's, it's again, it's fine for what it is, but I just, it, yeah, it didn't, it didn't do it for me. Interesting. Yeah. I think I relate to it because when I was a kid, I was like too smart for my own good and really goofy and awkward and weird. Right. And I was basically data <laughs> with emotions. So like when I first saw this, I'm like, yeah, I get it. I get you. I appreciate you. I love you. <laughs> you are me. Uh, I just like saw myself in that emotional version of Data. And I already loved Data so much as a character that it was like this weird validation for being a weird kid that I really right. appreciated. So, uh, yeah. Um, and I, I love the whole arc of it. I, I love that moment where Data wants to be turned off because he can't deal with the emotions and Picard refuses. Um, yes. Yeah, I think it's great. I think that like him... Flipping a switch, suddenly having all these emotions, and then immediately laughing at all the jokes he's ever heard is brilliant. Yes. I love it. And <laughs> and then like not being able to deal with it and needing help from friends and support from friends to continue to exist because he wants to like suspend his own existence. I think there's like really powerful messaging in that. And I, I just love it. It really works for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, can, I can agree with you there. Okay, so what do you think about Tolian Soren, the, the villain, Malcolm McDowell's character? Is he a villain, though? I mean, yeah, I guess he was going to murder, you know, a whole planet full of people. Yeah. So we'll call him a villain. Yeah, I thought he was interesting. I I, I, uh, I like Malcolm McDowell as an actor. Um, I think he's usually pretty good. He, he, he clearly 
uh, as he's uh, become a, an older gentleman, has settled into villain face. Like he's just, <laughs> he just has like a triangular yeah. angle face. He's got R- RVF, says, resting villain face. <laughs> resting villain face. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You see him and you're like, all right, what is your ultimate plan here? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and that works for me. And I, I the, the sort of like incomprehensible nature of the situation aside, I thought it was an interesting take on a, a villain character, you know, or as a, or a, an antagonist. I was going to say, Nem- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a so little, for, yeah, too I, on think the it, nose. I think it, yeah, a little too on the nose. And it's interesting because apart from a few exceptions in TNG, Star Trek, isn't really that kind of like, you know, big, bad, focused show it's usually like you know uh, people against the environment versus like people against a villain people against antagonist like i said there's exceptions but that's generally not the 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 structure of star trek stuff so yeah this is i mean i I feel like that runs the gambit like i'm thinking of like khan and lore and i think i feel like there's a good amount of of villains, yeah, but, but, yes, I think, but you're right I, that there is also like going through warp speed is killing space, you know, like yeah. I yeah. but I still I swear that if we ran the numbers, well, okay, movies are different because I do think that the movies it almost it almost becomes a requirement that that's how right you know the thing should be for the movies where it feels more of a like oh these people are struggling this antagonist who's doing a thing. And 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 that that is a different style. I do now, like uh, Deep Space Nine. You know, they repeatedly have like Ducat mm-hmm. as in Kai Win. You have recurring antagonistic characters who have their own motivations working against the crew. And I think that that's interesting. You know, that is a different style. But TNG, I I will swear <laughs> forever that it is more focused on just generic problem solving versus yeah we have to overcome the evil intentions of this other individual you know yeah i think yeah, i think you're probably right more, that in tng that's that's true yeah there's lore there's i guess to a degree the borg but even that is more of this abstract problem that you're solving yeah. yeah 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 yeah. and then what's her name tasha yar's uh evil daughter <laughs> yeah um Morticia, but yeah, it's certainly Morticia Yar, I think her name was. Morticia Yar. <laughs> but and and C- these Cilla? are I think it's Sela. Sela, that sounds right, yeah. And I mean TNG is a is a we we talk about this endless length where it's an episodic show, not a serialized show, and a serialized show lends itself more to having rec- villainous yeah. antagonist than an episode episodic show. So, anyways, that it's just to me that is a difference here where it's like now the there is this villain um and so the problem solving you know like the sh- the movie splits itself where there's picard who's dealing with grief and then dealing with soren and then the rest of the crew is basically just you know going through crisis after crisis when they're show mm-hmm. so i do like soren as a character and i do think it's interesting and i do think that it was handled well in this environment where it's not normally what they do, where they don't normally fight a villain kind of thing. Yeah. And like Um, the climax comes down to, you know, we are fighting to save a whole planet full of people, but to do that, we just need to defeat one man. 
And we don't even mm-hmm. see the people. We just see this one man that we have to defeat. Yeah, it's it's abstracted away. And they lose once. They do a cheat right. with the, you know, time travel stuff. Right, totally. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so I did. And, and uh, yeah, I guess the, the question was, what I what did I think of Soren? I did think he was an interesting character. Uh, I thought that they, uh, I, if anything, I just wish that there had been more stuff about him, you know, more, more discussion of what's going on. Uh, but I thought they gave him a good a good motivation and you know just he's an amoral asshole that's super selfish yeah yeah i mean i think he's a i love him as a villain and i talk about this a lot with jeff so i won't repeat myself for the listeners but uh i just think he's but then i'm gonna repeat myself anyway i can't help it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i just think he's his motivations are so interesting and his um selfishness is so interesting and fighting against one selfish person who just wants what he wants and wants his own bliss and joy and doesn't care that he has to kill an entire planet full of intelligent uh, individuals to get it. Right. That really resonates because I'm like, that's Donald Trump, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that is the person running our country right now. Uh, And then you have Picard who's fighting for empathy and fighting for the right for everyone to live and exist in their own natural way. And I just think that's so powerful. Like that's at the core of the prime directive and something that's like, on showcase in this movie and i just love that i always love that about star trek when they do that yeah yeah it's good and then it gives us a good motivation for what's happening and yeah you know it's yeah it's it's i i keep getting stuck on like how it's it's it doesn't fit the mold of like other star trek kind of stuff where mm. other star trek kind of stuff would have been just like this ribbon is just doing this thing and we need to stop it like it's not mm. like someone blew up a sun that caused it to head towards this planet full of people. It would just be heading towards a planet full of people on its own. Right. And then they would have to go out there and shoot space science magic at it. And then it would redirect somewhere else or collapse, you know? And we find out it was just Q the whole time. Yeah. It was just Q the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. That is the Q. The Nexus is the Q continuum, just traipsing through space. Kind of right. Like in a way, yeah, but I I feel like there are these things that they that people do um, outside of canon or in or in the second tier of canon, like novels and comics and stuff, where you could kind of do a unified, cohesive theory of Star Trek space magic and put in like the the Apollo gods, all the like the real mm-hmm. out there stuff from TOS of super beings, the Kevin dude from <laughs> yeah, yeah. Star Trek, Kevin, the space murderer from TNG. Um, wait, wait, Kevin, Q, which one's Kevin, the space murderer? Uh, he's the, he's the one that lives with his wife in that house. Oh yeah. And, Kevin Uxbridge. Yes. Yeah. He wiped out like a whole species cause right. he was mad. Right. So like, like all Charlie, of them, and then, Charlie like, X, there's like so, Charlie, right, right at the beginning of, of TOS, there's like two or three episodes where you have a God figure right away. Yeah. That's what TOS loved built on. Yeah. Yeah. TOS loved God figures out in space. Yeah. But I feel like that was also very endemic of whatever of, of 60s sci-fi. Like that was a thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, but I mean like you could have like, and I think people have done stuff along these lines, Tremaine or whatever his name is. Yeah. You can have like unified theories of space magic in Star Trek and that they're all related to each other and, and represent a, a, a different higher order within this Star Trek universe and you can easily fold in this, you know, Nexus flying ribbon thing yeah. as being part of these godlike beings 
um, in their particular world, you know? Sure. It's all mycelia. It's all mycelia. That's where they hang out. That's, yeah. that's how they move so quickly. Yeah. That is the mycelial <laughs> network. It's, it's, a, it's a breach from the mycelial network into our reality that's just swimming yep. through space. That's what the Nexus is, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think clearly. they even said that in the uh, post credit scene. <laughs> <laughs> you gonna, you gonna really no, they should add one. Attention. They should add a post credit scene where it's like, oh, it's my serial network. Um, <laughs> what do you think about uh, about Kirk's return and his, well, I guess, his demise in this movie? <laughs> yeah, he did his, his dying twice in the same movie. Yeah. Uh yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> I one of the notes I wrote was like, oh, this is interesting. Uh, generations in in Star Trek Generations, we get to see the worst captain in Starfleet history, and then plus the guy from Ferris Bueller playing a captain. <laughs> yeah, um, what's his name? Alan Ruck. Yeah, but yeah, just oh, because he's so the, good. Yeah, uh, he's. I mean, to me, the joke is like, well, he's a terrible captain. Yeah. Captain Harmon or Harriman, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. captain of the Enterprise B doesn't know. Well, I mean, they're uh, not ready. He's not ready. And yeah, he's a captain. What do you mean he's not ready? He had to have been a first officer for years. Yeah, they make it seem like this dude graduated from high school, and then they made him captain, and he doesn't know what he's doing. That seems. I mean, yeah, the guy was not good, but let's really look at the institutions that allowed this sure. man to get to the flagship. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Starfleet. Well, and have no confidence or skill. Maybe he's an android and his captain proficiency is being installed <laughs> on Tuesday. It could be. That makes perfect sense, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I get all of my, my captain knowledge on Tuesday. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so it's yeah, coming with the, with the photon torpedoes on Tuesday. So, yeah, it's fine. I mean, Kirk is fine. I'm not a huge Kirk fan in Star Trek in general. He, I... Part of it has to do with William Shatner being an asshole, <laughs> and part of it is also just the reflection of like you know he, he, his character is is a, is archaic. It's a throwback. It was sure. of its time in the '60s, but that sort of the thing it represents is laughable. I mean, that's obviously uh, uh, Zach Brannigan or whatever from Futurama. Oh, Zach Brannigan, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, this is totally. like. That's, it's captain. making fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's making fun of that archetype of this yeah. just sort of like the you swashbuckling, know, swashbuckling white man. male. Yeah. yeah se- sexually yeah. active, virile alpha captain male. Yeah. Which they have reimagined for Captain Pike in Discovery yes. in the best yes. way imaginable. Absolutely. I mean, it's something that can be tweaked and, and, yeah. and examined and, and played with, you know. So I'm just saying, like, in general, I don't have what I would consider super favorable opinions of Kirk. So it's like, oh, Kirk's going to be in this movie. And it's like, yeah, okay, (laughs) cool. And then we'll get to the good stuff. And Uh, then we'll get to the good stuff. Yeah, it's it's fine. Again, he's perfectly fine in the movie. You know, I I mean, I I was much more jazz for Sarek's guest spot in TNG. Than I was for, mm, yeah. you know, uh, Kirk's guest spot in TNG movie. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, the historic nature of the two captains meeting is just like Star Trek nerd gold. <laughs> where I oh, just, absolutely, I just this love is that. This is the pinnacle of like 
fan service kind yes, of stuff. And I totally. and I do appreciate that. And I do think it is interesting that the one movie has the enterprise three enterprise captains like A, B, and D in yeah. the same movie. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm trying to hold back all of my feelings because I don't want to keep repeating myself. But sure, um, well, you just ask me leading questions. Yes, that, totally, that. totally. <laughs> um, but it's very because I want you to like the podcast listeners. I don't want them to have to listen to me say the same thing twice. But I want you to know everything that is in my head. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll pause it. You'll tell me everything. Yeah, <laughs> and then I'll go. Whoa, Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, what do you think about like the Nexus itself? This idea that there's a like a interdimensional joyous place where it just yeah. like is drugs basically you know, roaming space heaven yeah space drugs roaming space yeah. drugs it's i mean this is like this is like classic star trek this yeah. is just like this makes zero fucking sense <laughs> yeah. the implications of it are deep and profound and it's just a macguffin for this movie and that's it like that to me is one of the essence of star trek is like Let's do this huge, earth-shattering, universe-affecting thing, but not really talk about it or explore it and then throw it away when we're done with the episode. Right, yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> like, this ribbon is just flying through space. It looks like destroying things that it runs into or ships. And I guess if it comes near a planet, it scoops people up and they get to live in space heaven forever until maybe this ribbon collapses like that's that's weird that's just like out there tooling around the alpha quadrant like yeah there's there 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 should be science vessels following it constantly there should be like whole (laughs) teams of people that are tracking it and mapping it and trying to keep people out of the way of it i assume right right because people are gonna clearly people want to get inside of it yeah that's, but also, a, that's a good point that I did think about when I was watching this. But also, why not? Like, if there is a way for people to get inside of it, then they should do that. They should find a way to, like, I don't know, steer this thing into a big loop. So if people want to go to space heaven, they can go to space heaven. That reminds me, uh, I wanted to mention this to you, is that I watched Upload. Speaking of space oh, heaven. Oh, space heaven, yeah. Um, Upload is fantastic. It's I watched great. it it's at so your recommendation, good. and I adored yeah. it. It was really it's good. so well done. Such yeah, a great show. And it's so similar to to this idea of the Nexus that like your mind can go someplace and live in eternal bliss, right. but your body has to but you have to leave your body to get there. Um, well, no, I mean that's they seemingly your body goes into the Nexus. No one ever talked about Kirk's body floating around in space, you know. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, it's kind of contradictory because when the Nexus sweeps over Viridian 3 and Soren and Picard disappear. It feels kind of different than when all the Elarian refugees are on the ship in the beginning. Um, it feels right. like the ships being destroyed, all those Elarians died, except for the ones that were beamed out, and those people were ripped out of the Nexus. So I was right. getting the impression that maybe as the ship is sitting inside of the Nexus, um, it's like their minds are jacked in, but their bodies are on the ship. That's kind of the impression uh, I, I got. I don't know why I got the impression. I got the impression that some of them wound up in the Nexus and some of them got torn out of the Nexus. 
Well, if Guinan is in the Nexus and she's beamed off of the ship, and so is Soren, and it seems right. like their bodies and their life signs are on the ship and can be beamed out, even though their minds are in the Nexus. Yeah. But if that were true, then Picard and Soren wouldn't disappear. They would still be on the planet and their minds would be in the Nexus. So yeah. It's almost like uh-oh, they didn't really uh-oh. put a lot of thought into this. No, I broke it. Damn it. <laughs> I, I, I never thought about that before and I just broke this whole movie for myself. Oh, Doug, do you, you, you ruined wanna... another thing that I love. I'm just do you kidding. want another breaking it. of this movie? No. Okay. Yes. No. Where are they at the beginning of the movie? Where are they? The Enterprise B. Yeah. There's a bunch of press there. They're about ready to launch it on its maiden voyage? Yes. And Where are they launching from? From, I would assume from the Utopia Planitia shipyards on Mars, because they're going to go... On Mars, right. Because they're going to go so out past um, Pluto and back. They're just like doing a run around the solar system. Absolutely. So, right. So, they're, they're in the Earth. They're in Sol system. Yes. Right? Yes. So, then that's where they are. They're, they're just outside of Mars. They get a distress signal from something that is fairly close, which is the El Elurians. Right. And then this ribbon is just like barreling through <laughs> the Earth's solar system. I that, think that I think fairly close by their standards is still it could be light years away. Light which, years, right. But yeah. they get there pretty quickly. Sure. There's, but, well, I mean there's, there's like there's, uh, yeah. We, we don't know how long it takes. They go to warp. We don't know. Like, I mean, that, could, that could be... Is it months? Yeah, I think months pass between... No, I'm just kidding. No, um, it's not. No, it's I'm minutes. They, it's minutes. It's but minutes, like, right. Yeah. But they're saying that there's literally no one else nearby. Right. Every so, ship in the entire Earth solar system is... Everyone's on vacation. ...out exploring. I'm fine right. with it. I, this doesn't bother I, me at all. No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, the, they clearly set some stuff up that they didn't... They just didn't right. care. They just didn't think about it. Well, no, you're and right. Then, it doesn't really make sense that the only ship in vicinity of Earth is this one half-finished ship. <laughs> like, right. And the yeah. Elulurians who are escaping the Borg and a giant ribbon from the Nexus? Like, what is going on Right. just outside of Earth's system on this particular Not Tuesday? Yeah, I'm fine with it. I don't need any yeah. more. I, and also, like, oh, we know, we I, know it, that Guinan 500 years ago was on Earth... In San Francisco, hanging sure, out with Mark, out. hanging out with Mark Twain. <laughs> she, she, yeah, she gets yeah. around. But but then does she go back home? And then the planet is destroyed by the Borg, and that's why she's on a refugee ship. That that's fine. Yeah, that works for me. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I know that this is all nitpicky, and I yeah. don't mean to to yeah. pick at it and, to say like, well, and this is a prime example of how much of a hypocrite I am because <laughs> this movie is very nitpickable, and none of them yes. bother me. Not a single one of these things. <laughs> bothers me because the movie as a whole is just such a satisfying experience to me and the story they're trying to tell and the themes they're dealing with of you know of like loss like picard's great loss of his family and learning how to go on and then also like the easy way out versus the hard way through um with not just the nexus but data and his emotions it's just all so good and it also like it just uh, it's like a biting into a delicious piece of fruit i just fucking love it <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and i don't and, care and, that that fruit has a core i'm gonna deal with the core <laughs> you know it's fine and i this is still i love to nitpick but i in no way hold these nitpicks against the yeah. movie well my, it's my fun to nitpick me, i mean it, this it, is it great is fun. fun like don't get me wrong <laughs> I, that's why i wanted to talk that, to you because i wanted to hear like what did you notice because you notice completely different things than i do in these movies i did notice that guinan and soren both wound up 
on two different versions of the Enterprise <laughs> in yeah. the spate of 75 years, which is like, okay, that's more than coincidence. Definitely, someone is behind this. <laughs> yeah, it's Q. We already Q. talked about yeah. this. We already said we yeah. established that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I wish that they this this felt like a chance to to settle some of the, and it's probably intentional where they don't go too much into Guinan's space magicness or you know the Elalurians, but this was very strange. Where it's like, oh, we're just pretending Guinan doesn't have kind of like magic space superpowers or anything because Soren clearly doesn't doesn't seem to have anything like that. Nothing is talked about. It, I and totally I just, disagree. I totally disagree. They're they're both they both have a some sort of telepathy of some kind because well, Soren can feel Picard's anguish over learning that his family died in a fire when he says the line mm, time is a fire in which we burn. Like, he's looking right at Picard and reading his mind and knowing that if he wants to make an impression on this man, he needs to say something about fire. Like, I don't think that he knows okay. specifically what happened to his family. And then also, Guinan feels his presence. Like, sh- as he tries to run away and leave the bar, she looks over at where he was and has that look on her face that we know so well when Guinan knows something that no one else knows, you know? Okay. I agree with you, and I think those are both excellent points. And I also would say the movie should have... I don't know, made that more explicit or called it out more because mm. I think it also can be just read as like, you know, uh, Guinan caught the this guy out of the corner of uh, her eye. And I didn't even think about the Soren staying his stuff. So that, mm. that, that did seem strange to me at the time, but I guess I didn't think to myself, like, oh, he's reading mine. So yeah, I think I, that is a good call. I, uh, so I watched this with Andy and she was like, are we going to get more about Guinan? Because I really want more Guinan. And yes, yeah. we all want more Guinan. But this movie rides the same line that the rest of the show rides, where we never really get substantive backstory for Guinan. We just kind of yeah. have to extrapolate and piece things together. And I think that that's the right choice. Um, as much as I want more, Guinan is such an enigmatic figure and one of the best characters in all of Star Trek. And the more you know about her, I think the less mysterious she becomes and maybe the less effective that character becomes because you can use her in such interesting ways um as a character like like thematically throughout plot that you can use her in all these different ways because she like she knows things you know and and that can't really be explained but it drives the plot in so many episodes and i'm for it like the idea that she can tell that tasha yar is not supposed to be there in yesterday's enterprise yeah and, and if we were to go into the science of why it might be less fun, it might be like a midi-chlorian situation where <laughs> you try to explain the force and all of a sudden it sucks. Well, no, see, and that's just it. I don't want or care to have an explanation of how her shit works. You know, <laughs> I just want there to be more uh, exploration of of the nature of it in general, like sure, like when she's holding uh, up her claws to cue. What what was she about to do? Was she, does she have lightning force fingers? Force lightning, definitely force lightning. Yeah, for sure. It yeah. does make me wonder in Picard season two if they do have Whoopi Goldberg come back for Guinan, will they dive into it, or will it be like you know the kind of intentional air of mystery that they've fostering so far? I am so excited to find out. I really want... I hope they go through with that. I think they will. I want Guinan and Picard to be lovers. I've always wanted this. (laughs) I want them to get together. I think it's clear they've doinked. I think that that's... Yeah. 
I think that that is out there. She loves bald men. I mean, she loves bald men. Let's get this done, right? I think that this can I if I can wingman in some way, I want this to happen. And also, uh, it sounds like uh, Beverly Crusher might be coming back as well. So oh, everyone's like in talks. It's shit's happening. It's very exciting. I mean, we just got to get yeah. through this global pandemic so that we can start <laughs> making more Star Trek. Although I've, we're a month yes. away from a new Star Trek show. Lower Decks comes out like next month. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. That yeah. makes sense. I and that's the kind of thing, as a cartoon, they can just crank as much of that as yes. time allows. Yeah, and I, I definitely want to cover that on the show. I mean, ideally, we can maybe get some form of Star Trek Club back together. Uh, there's still a lot of people involved in the podcast that are not comfortable podcasting right now. And I'm still like, I, I almost put the show on hiatus because I'm like, man, if this many people are feeling this way, should we be doing this at all? Um, and I don't feel like there's a right or wrong answer here. I feel like, I do feel like as long as we're continuing to, to make our stance that we push for social change, that we stand with Black Lives Matter known. And, you know, like sometimes we're going a little more in depth with that than other weeks. This week, I'm trying to keep it light because I feel like, you know, people are exhausted and need some escapism. But uh, I don't know. I, I'm really, I can't stand the thought of not making this podcast. So yeah. I've decided that whoever's willing to continue, let's just keep going. Um, but I a hundred percent understand where everyone else is coming from. And there's no pressure for anyone to come back on the show. They're all invited. Hopefully they'll all come back eventually. Um, mm-hmm. But like, this is a time where it's like, man, I do, this does feel a little, um, I do feel a little weird, like having the, it's like, it almost feels like a privilege to even be able to have these conversations because like, I'm not worried for my life right now because of systematic racism. And I do want to acknowledge that. Like mm-hmm. people are still being found dead. I mean, there's, I saw today another uh, black man, 20 year old black man found hanging in a tree that was, that was determined to be a suicide. And this is happening across the country. These are not suicides. These right, are lynchings. Right, right. It's yeah. like super obvious that these are lynchings. Um, and it's just like devastatingly, terrifying that this is still happening and yeah i don't know i'm still conflicted but here we are talking about (laughs) star trek generations because i i need the release like i need i need the sense of community that this show brings i need to talk to my friends about sci-fi to feel sane so so we're still here yeah 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 and I, i would say that if if you ever got the sense or feedback that someone said hey what you're doing is insensitive and tone deaf therefore it would make me feel better if you made these changes then that would be something like, oh, Jesse went too far or did something without thoughtfulness or mindfulness. But the sense that I get is that that's not the case. Yeah, uh, I have gotten... You're you're, you're still approaching this... What's that? I pretty much get no feedback. I'm flying blind, you know? Uh, The only real real feedback I get is I can see how many people are listening, and that has been good recently. Like, that's actually, since we were featured on Podcast Republic, we've got a bunch of new listeners, and we've managed to keep a good portion of them with it, which is really exciting. I thought that maybe our listenership would go back down to where it was, and it hasn't. So I'm taking that as a sign that we're doing something good. Um, I, you know, I've never written an email to a podcast, so. Uh, right. I don't take it personally if people don't write in, but I would love to hear from people. I'd love to get some feedback. Um, Space Nerds Podcast at gmail.com. But yeah, we do get <laughs> we do get feedback for Doug Space Nine because we do that live. And right. I, I have gotten some feedback like when I'm live streaming, people saying, hey, I listen and love the podcast. And I really appreciate that. Um, but that's the only feedback I've gotten. So I haven't gotten any negative feedback. So okay. 
yeah so i don't know i i really don't know and i i i do i'm definitely like hearing the rest of the the people who are involved in the show for the reasons why they're not feeling comfortable to be on like to be podcasting right now just in general um yeah people need a break yeah and like people have some really scary stuff going on and that's yeah some people need an escape yeah some people need a breather you know different people have different emotional needs and capacity right and some people you know i absolutely make sense uh that some people aren't in the emotional space to do something that is arguably more frivolous you know sure yeah this is totally frivolous it's just because we love it yeah yeah um but i still would uh posit that even though it is a, a frivolity and a distraction and comfort that it that it is that that it could serve as a comfort for people as well you know that yes that does make it uh a a, a useful thing i agree i don't take that lightly at all i actually i've been game streaming a lot more recently i've been streaming a lot on twitch um um i'm on twitch i'm twitch.tv slash jesse underscore mercury and the main reason i've been doing it more often is because i'm hearing from people like i'm really depressed and your streams make me feel better and Mm -hmm. that's reason enough for me to put time and effort into that um, yeah. I'm really hopeful that this podcast does the same for people. Um, and I also like, we, we are really trying to use this as a platform for social change. We've done a couple episodes about that, um, and are continuing to pepper it in, in various ways and will continue to do so. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, this is a time where you really have to take a side and take a stand because really scary things are happening and we got to be there for each other. And we have to, you know, this podcast for the whole five years that it's existed, and we're actually, this might be the five-year anniversary. I, I think this might mm. be the five-year anniversary podcast. <laughs> I never remember to check that until it's too late. <laughs> um, but the idea all along has been that if we're talking about aspirational science fiction, we're talk- or even dystopian science fiction, we're looking into the future, looking at ways that humanity can grow and come together and be better, that maybe right. that can help. You know, That's why I like science fiction, is because it is trying to shape the future in a positive way. And... Um, show representation and and show positive futures or examine negative futures and show how we can avoid them. Like that is at the core of science fiction. And that's a big part of why I've always loved it. And we've been talking about this type of stuff throughout the entire history of the show. Um, And, and I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't want this to go away. I really don't want it to stop. Hey, look, Andy's here. I'm so sorry. Hey Andy. He just started barking and I thought maybe he Oh yeah. I didn't have pants on, otherwise I'd go out the front. Yeah, no one can see. Andy's not wearing pants right now. So sorry, everyone. Um, <laughs> well, I'm glad I turned my video off, because I would want to intrude in Andy's pantsless freedom. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Let me just pause for one second. Okay, and we're back. Miles has peed, and Andy is joining us. Welcome, Andy. Thank you. Still not wearing pants, but they're overrated. I'm into it. Um, <laughs> Andy, did you did you have any? Th- we I just filled in Andy about what we were talking about with like our weird feelings behind the scenes about continuing the show right now. And yeah. did you have any thoughts about that? Um, I think it's important to keep navigating, and I think just like staying conscious of what we're putting out there and um, what space we're making for as many voices as we can in terms of representing the black community, especially right now. And, uh, and I think the, I'll say that for the media that I've been consuming um, from creators 
in the same realm that like would be similar to you in terms of podcasts or watching streamers or YouTube creators. I feel like I really like the creators that are continuing to address what's happening that aren't just like completely returning to as if nothing was going on um, and who are committing to do so throughout their career. Yeah. And, um, and they are also doing some of the things that I love that they were doing before. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel the same way. And there yeah. should be a, ba- I mean, in, in my mind, I think a balance of those things is, uh, is essential because in actuality, I think that it's important to um, normalize is the wrong word, but uh, make it like routine, a part of our daily content release in the way that's sustainable, I guess is what I should say. And not like, okay, we're going to take this month to talk about these issues and then not actually incorporate it into the way we've been making content in the style that we do if that makes any sense i don't know if i'm wording this quite correctly no, i but, think so too like, you know i i think that it's like this is re- i mean especially in a when we're talking about current topics or we're talking about uh media that we consume or we're talking about science fiction that is written and made in america like these topics will always be relevant and they will always be important and um connecting to changing the systems in as many ways as we can is like is timeless. So yeah. I think I think weaving it into what we do while also continuing to do what is what we love to do is is the way to go. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I like I've been listening to a couple podcasts. Oh, I always listen to podcasts, but um, one I listen to is Star Trek: The Next Conversation, where they're uh, Matt Myra and Andrew Secunda are um, going through every episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. It's just really fun. I like it a lot. Um, but they did not talk about what was happening in the world for mm, weeks yeah. and then finally addressed it and said, hey, like, we're hearing from people that we really need to, like, bring this up and say, of course we stand with Black Lives Matter. Um, and we're sorry for not saying that sooner. Mm. Um, versus, like, this other show I listen to because I love Survivor. And I listen to Rob Has a Podcast for their Survivor <laughs> coverage. Yeah. And immediately Rob started, you know, talking about what was happening, bringing on... Um, black contestants from survivor to talk about their experiences on the show yeah which was really great and you know giving people a platform and i will i I also want to say again i we made this invitation recently but if there's anyone out there who is a sci-fi fan or creator or anything anyone who's not white who wants to be on the show share your experiences i want to continue to to put out that invitation because we'd love to talk to you yeah Um, absolutely and andy what did you think of Star Trek Generations? Wow. And we've already got Doug's thoughts. We're going to hear from Jeff in just a minute here. So yeah. we got I don't want to we can't go through the whole movie 3 times, but I just want to hear your quick <laughs> yeah. your quick thoughts. What what did you think of this movie? Oh, well, first of all, I want to say I'm really excited to listen to the rest of this episode because I'm really curious about both Doug and Jeff's uh, feelings on yeah. the topic. And uh and I so quickly, yeah. Oi. I mean, I really enjoyed it. I said to Jesse after we watched it, I just feel like this is, given the context of the movie, like, this is the movie they needed to make. Like, this was the best movie they could have made. And Jesse is so fun in in terms of what was happening at that time and what they were trying to incorporate. And, you know, I mean, it's like so, it felt so TNG. Yeah. And, um... 
but it and slightly different. And I just, I don't know. It's interesting because. Yeah, you said, like, you think it's one of your absolute... Oh, am I allowed to say what you said? Sure, okay, yeah. I was from the later in the podcast. But you said it was, like, one of your absolute favorite movies of all yeah, time. And, yeah. and then afterwards, when we were talking about what I just said, you're like, it's not even that I think it's the best movie ever made. It's, like, the best movie they could have made. Hmm. Like, like it, it, it just... It's you're You know, I mean, it's like the dialogue isn't, like groundbreaking but it's just like perfect for what that movie needs to be yeah you know or like i don't know even the storyline is so great the passing of the baton um and and i i did say this to you too i feel like the first part of the movie feels like a different movie than the second part of the movie mm-hmm. um it's so interesting when they like do the time traveling and that thing washes over them. Yeah, the Nexus. Thank you, the Nexus. Um, like I, I don't know. I that was like bizarre. Like suddenly we're in a Christmas Carol. You I know, know that's like, so. Weird. <laughs> that was that was. I, I was kind of meh about the movie. I think it's fine, but not great. But yeah. that was something where I was like, "Oh come on, <laughs> yeah, this is, I know. This is Picard's ultimate fantasy: is to live <laughs> in Victorian London with like an average-looking family. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. is the only... and to be called Papa, Papa, yeah. Papa. <laughs> that to me is the one big missed opportunity in the movie. Is yeah. that doesn't ring quite right right it, like yeah. on the one I mean, hand at least he does, Kirk was like trying to get laid <laughs> like on the one hand here's this man who's like always reading books and like ve- this very well-read person who probably loves charles dickens because yeah. you know he's british and sure. french at the same time for some reason but it, it, i could like, <laughs> kind of see where they were going with that and where they were coming from but it just didn't something about the 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 way that it was presented was a little eye rolly. It was weird. I'll yeah. say this though, and it made me wonder about like I mean, I think you can kind of infer any meaning you want, but it made me wonder about the nature of the Nexus. Like two things could be possible in my mind. One is that, you know, it's not really about what your ultimate fantasy would be. It's more about what like in that moment that the Nexus washes over you, what is the thing you're wanting the most? Hmm. Because he's contending with the death of his nephew and losing his brother too, right? Right. Yeah. And like so that idea of family being yeah. surrounded by family and safety, maybe in that moment in his life, that is like his dream. And he had um, just read A Christmas Carol. And he had just read it. <laughs> but also I wondered too if like the Nexus actually again doesn't emulate what you what your greatest fantasy based on your personal goals and dreams are. Like what if it's whatever state would be the most um lulling like, mm. like, do you know, like that would keep you the most content to just stay in it? Yeah, um, right. Yeah, I, I don't know. My guess is that it it would be more of like a stream of consciousness. My guess is that the Nexus has no will or agenda. Yeah, I, I, I would guess that as this wave washes over you, you're like just due to some weird biochemistry of of it like passing th- over your body, your yeah. mind like goes into this magical 
drug realm. It's right. like like when you smoke marijuana, your brain goes to a weird place. You oh, know? yeah. I think it's really just like doing a drug and it's just yeah. kind of where your mind goes, but it feels realer than it would just from doing a drug unless you smoke a hell of a lot of weed. Yeah. Um, and I'll, you know what I'll say too, and as we're talking, I'm real, like, I really enjoyed that movie. I really enjoyed the experience of watching it with you. And yeah. I'm going to fully admit that I think that probably biases me to like it more <laughs> than I would have. Because I was like bouncing because for joy. How can you not <laughs> love something that you're watching with your partner and they are like childishly gleeful? <laughs> and then when you, go, when you want, and like we can pause, we paused it a couple times and I was asking you questions and you were like, well, yeah, that's a good point. You know, I could just, I could feel how happy you were watching it. And then when you describe it to me, it's very convincing. Like when somebody enthusiastically explains a movie to you, you're like, oh yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. But what I will say is it did make me see a lot of things I did enjoy about the movie. Um, and as we're speaking, I'm like, oh yeah, but I did have this feeling about it, which is like, I really, really wanted them to go more into Guinan's story. Like, yeah. I was, Boom, thank you. Mentioning that you said that earlier. So much more because it just, I mean, first of all, obviously there are lots of representation issues in, in the movie. Um, I'm sure that that's talked about, but you know, and that's something we just kind of continually bring into well, our well, talks about Star Trek. The only one but, that we talked about with Jeff was that there's like only one person in the whole, and the listeners haven't heard this yet. Cause that's still coming up. Yeah. Um, there's only one person in the movie shown in chains being tortured yeah. and it's a black man. Totally. And like yeah. that really struck me. Cause I'd never thought about that before, but that's something that's been, pointed out to me yeah. um, during this whole, you know, social upheaval we're going through. It's like, yeah, have you never noticed that whenever there's a black man in a movie, he's always being tortured or in chains? Yeah, or killed first. Or killed, or, yeah, or yeah. killed first. I mean, Which, we've talked about, like, right. uh, people of color being killed first a lot, but this was one that, like, this is in my one of my favorite movies, and it's Geordi, you yeah. know? And yeah. I had never really thought about that, that that's the only character that we see in that yeah. position in the whole movie. Absolutely. Yeah, that was Absolutely. a jarring moment watching the movie. Yeah, it really yeah, is. It is. And it they is. cut that down a lot from what it was originally going to be. Mm. Like, there's, like, something about nanoprobes in his heart that was in the novelization. And mm. they talk, there's, like, a line in the movie where Soren says his heart just wasn't in it. So they shot some of that stuff and then cut Ugh. it out. So it was originally going to be worse. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Wow, I didn't realize that. Well, I, well, so, yeah. So there, there's an issue. I also remarked to you while we were watching, and it's really interesting and this you could kind of say for any uh, futuristic shows, um, just looking, you know, in the first part of the movie, how far into the future is that set from our current time now? Oh, man. That first, that flight. A couple hundred years? It's like 20, it's like the beginning, like the end of the 2200s, beginning of the 2300s, yeah. I think. Okay, so a couple I, I might be years. wrong about yeah. that, yeah. And, and, um... And you know they go into the the ship for like that you know first launch and yeah and the, you look, the media event yes and you're looking around at the crew and I would say for when the, when was this made the movie uh, 98. 98? Okay. 98? okay okay yeah so yeah. I would say for ninety eight like the diversity shown in that room was pretty standard oh, ninety four sorry ninety four. Okay, well, even more so then. Um, was pretty standard, if not more, actually more diverse than a lot of what was being made at the time. However, if you're imagining that this is a couple hundred years in the future, like, 
humanity just like literally if you were looking at this from a purely scientific point of view yeah like there would just be more people of color in that room yeah you know it felt good at the time for representation but looking back at it now it's like oh wow no this is still vastly majority white yeah Yeah. absolutely and i think that's something to note for anything that takes place in the future like um yeah it's one of star trek's ongoing failings and and they often do representation in background or someone who has a line or two but they had already kind of you know cast in stone basically what they were doing with the main predominantly white cast and then that's it like they just stick with that yeah it's true it's true um and oh my gosh this was all so i the reason i wanted to bring this up too is that Guinan, her storyline, like I would watch a whole movie about Guinan. Sure. And that's and and I guess what I'm saying is like, yes, representation is important. And this is beyond just wanting more time with a person of color on screen, like which I do. But additionally to that, Guinan as a character is so fascinating to me. Yeah. And I really want to know her story, the story of the um because what it what is she again? Elarian. Elarian, yeah, like the Elarian people, um, yeah. and and what and what those capabilities are. Because clearly, <laughs> this is just what Doug and I were just talking about. Yeah, <laughs> or some I don't know empath, but and then oh man, and I just love her. I just love her. I'm really excited that she's going to be on. Well, hopefully, on Picard. Yeah, on Picard. Yeah. Which, who knows what uh, what's happening with the filming of that, but. So I just pulled this movie up on a Google search. Yeah. I just want to point out IMDb. It's a 6.6 out of 10 rotten tomatoes. It's a 49% Metacritic. It's a 55% and 86% of Google users liked this movie. Wow. That seems, that makes sense. Yeah. I I just think it's like a near perfect movie. (laughs) I think everyone else is wrong. (laughs) I love it so much. I think, I think it's a perfectly adequate well, okay, how would Star you two rate it? My rating uh, is coming with Jeff, and it's not much of a surprise. It's very high. But what, what I'd you... give it uh, I'd give it a six. It's mm. it's fine. I think it's a good starting point, you know, to bring TNG into the movies. Mm-hmm. Um I think it kind of stumbles a little bit where it's it's not enough like an episode on the big screen, uh, you know, translating it well, or enough of you know, either like a here, here's a full-on movie with a with a satisfying narrative arc. It just it just sort of felt like, all right, you know, you did your best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to repeat what I had said earlier, for Andy's sake, is that I was saying that if this had been a two-parter of TNG TV show, yeah, I think I would like it a lot more. It, yeah, it, that context feels like it it would fit better. Interesting. What about you, Andy? I'd say I'm uh, eight. I feel like an eight. I yeah. feel like it's an eight for me, you know? Yeah. Like, I definitely don't think it's my favorite movie. I really enjoyed it. And I have to say, I also, like, really can't separate my feelings of watching it with you from just my feelings of watching it. Yeah. So I feel like eight's a fair realm to put it in. So what you're saying is that everyone should just watch this movie with me. <laughs> yeah. And then it would, yeah. It would get, like, a 98% on IMDb. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Is this technically Star Trek 7? Yeah. Like, Undiscovered Country was 6, yeah. and so this is 7. Yeah. So, Star Trek 11. And this is the reason why 
was that? The, Star Trek 11 was the first JJ movie. Gotcha. Uh, and this is the reason why DS9 changed their uniforms. Actually, DS they they're wearing DS9 uniforms. Um DS9 uniforms were designed first and DS9 uh, was actually already on the air. Uh it crossed over for the last two seasons I want to say. It was def- the, definitely the last season DS9 was on the air. Um or am I wrong about this? Were they like I thought that the movie came out and then that caused them to change the uniforms on DS9. The the uniforms were definitely made for DS9 and I know that because Jordy was wearing one that didn't fit him right. I think it was like Calmini's uniform. Oh. They actually like, <laughs> borrowed uniforms from the DS9 set. My Star Trek... No, yeah, they were definitely on at the same time because there was a crossover episode. Um, okay. Yeah, and how many... I don't remember exactly how many years they crossed over now. I used to know these things so much better. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, it was like kind of something talked about behind the scenes where people were feeling like the last season of Next Generation didn't get enough love because mm. uh, DS9 was already going and... Um, and they were like working on generations. They started filming mm. generations immediately. Uh, like the cast and crew of next generation, um, went from filming the finale of next generation to filming generations immediately. Like they had no downtime uh, in between. Um, and yeah. then because the uniforms had changed for DS nine, they kind of peppered them into the crew of, of generations where some of them had their original <laughs> uniforms and some of them didn't as if the crew was okay. kind of, um, in the process of upgrading uniforms, which is sure. kind of interesting, but yeah, it's a, one of my favorite things in headcanon that if I ever was given an infinite budget, um, we would definitely see, a uh, Starfleet Department of Fashion uh, show that <laughs> follows the the ins and outs and the the political infighting of <laughs> the most powerful organization in Starfleet, uh-huh. including their repeated and capricious changes to styles and uniforms. I love that idea, especially like to see what was happening behind the scenes during the Discovery era when they switched <laughs> yeah. from the. I actually really like the Discovery uniforms. Um, they're nice yeah yeah but then when they switch to like the original series that would be really interesting and kirk's weird side sash <laughs> yeah dress uniform yeah 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 the original series movies uniforms are really interesting with like the yeah, they, thing that like pops open in the front yeah it feels very I th- I, it feels like someone was going for a real like naval you yeah. know sort yeah. of uh, vibe although the motion picture is actually one of my favorite uniforms. I love the uniforms in the motion picture. They're so mm. like gray. They're so monotone. I don't know. I really like it. Anyway, we still have like- so much podcast coming. We should wrap this <laughs> section up. We have a whole yeah. entire deep dive of yeah. generations with Jeff Tapia, a super fun conversation. And you'll get to hear a lot more of my thoughts. Um, <laughs> I know I didn't do a good job of, of trying to hold them in, but I can't help myself. Hence. Brief glimpse at Tuvok. We had that on the bridge. Yes. Oh, yeah. The guy who plays Tuvok <laughs> is on the bridge. Yes. Uh, I mean, I could talk about this movie for for literally generations. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about your generation. <laughs> All right. Well, Doug and Andy, thank you for joining us. No problem. And for the rest of the Space Nerds listening, let's jump into my conversation with Jeff Tapia, continuing our deep dive of Star Trek Generations. Whew! Deep dive nine. <laughs>
All right, Space Nerds, we have an extra special, special, special guest with us today, making their first appearance on the podcast in two and a half years. The very first guest we ever had, the original Space Nerd, even though it wasn't called Space Nerds back then. <laughs> the one and That's only. How old I am. <laughs> <laughs> the one and only Jeff Tapia. Jeff, welcome Hi. back to the podcast. Hello. Oh, Hi. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for doing this. Of course. Thank you for having me. So, it's been a long time since I really delved into any Star Trek stuff, but because of COVID, I have no excuse. So <laughs> I was able to just go for it. Yeah. I mean, I was like, man. It's COVID times. Everyone's stuck inside. What are the movies that I haven't talked about on this podcast that I've always wanted to talk about? And number one on that list is Star Trek Generations, the first movie with the Next Generation cast. And the first person I thought of to talk about it with is you. Good. <laughs> because Good. we started this journey almost five years ago with you watching Next Generation when the podcast first started. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's how it that's how it began. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And your last appearance was in episode 100 Beverly Fucks a Ghost where we finished your watch through of TNG. Uh, but we never did the movies. So we're back to we never do did the, the movies. movies. Yeah. yeah. Well, so was this was Generations the first movie of yes. them all? Okay, good. I wasn't sure if I was just like, oh yeah, sure and I'll like watch, you know, in the middle of I don't know. I wanted to make sure I had the continuity right. You so. do. Absolutely. Yeah, right. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't let that happen. <laughs> okay, cool. I was like, but, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Crazy times, you know? Yeah, they actually started filming this movie before they finished filming season seven of Next Generation. Like, they started mm -hmm. filming stuff with, you know, Kirk and, and, uh, and uh, Chekhov and Scotty. Um, and then as soon as Next Generation wrapped... All of the actors went right to work on this movie. So they had no downtime in between. And it's very it was a very contiguous experience for them and for the fans. Because yeah. the movie came out yeah. pretty soon after the show ended. Uh, I remember when I mean I remember vividly this movie coming out. And mm -hmm. it was the first movie ever to have its own website. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, I wonder what it looked like. I wonder if it looked like the Space Jam website. Have Maybe. Pro it was yeah. probably exactly the same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With, like, gifts going everywhere and, like... Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. But, but yeah, I mean, yeah. when I saw this movie as a kid, I was completely gobsmacked by it. I loved it so much. I was shaking with excitement in my seat. And we're going to get into a lot of spoilers here. But like, <laughs> oh, yeah. As a lifelong next-gen nerd, seeing Data get his emotion chip was like one of my happiest childhood memories. I think the Nexus <laughs> is like the coolest thing ever. I, I I know this movie's a little sappy and a little corny and a little a little janky sometimes, but I just adore it. And rewatching it made me so happy. I don't know it, it was so really happy. cool a lot of the times, too, though, yeah. I think. Yeah, well, I want to hear from Jeff. Because I have, I have opinions. Yes, well, hit me up. So, hit me with your opinions right now. What did you so, think of this movie? Off the top of my head, a I really loved it. I did love it. Um, for starters, and uh, the next thought that I had was that anything that what's his face is in, William Shatner is in, <laughs> is like he just adds this layer of like corniness to yeah. everything to me which is totally fine but like it was that was just really funny because i consider uh jean-luc 
character to be like not as corny you know what i mean so seeing those two things collide in scenes was really quite something and then uh, <laughs> i will say uh just high and i'm just talking highlights right now yeah just like off the top of my head what i thought um i wasn't super into the the emotion really okay tell yeah, me about it this I is controversial yeah yeah like data well, not just, having emotions is quintessential to his character see i was like i'm not watching data anymore and because it's been such a big gap i maybe for me because it's been such a big gap between watching tng and then watching the movie i felt like oh i'm gonna see this movie where you know with all my favorite characters and data we've talked about several times is my favorite character in sure. the whole show yeah and i didn't get to see data in mm. this movie you know mm. what i mean I like do know what you mean, yeah. Was, yeah so i was like kind of missing the whole data experience he it was funny sometimes though like when he wouldn't stop laughing that was like super <laughs> uncomfortable to watch but like really funny. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah that was my main thing with that i grew to like it a little more as the as the as i got more used to it but you know i just love data and i wanted to see data being data i think yeah, that's really interesting <laughs> a lot of people feel that way i've seen that out there in the, oh, in yeah. the internet universe uh, uh -huh. i never i never felt that way i don't mean to diminish that feeling because i that is absolutely legitimate oh, okay. but yeah. i never felt that way because what i loved about it was that this movie is like data being overwhelmed with emotions like a child you know like seeing a grown man <laughs> get emotions for the first time and like being so excited that he hates the way something tastes, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, all of it for some reason felt like it was data to me. Like I, this is like the version of data that I had kind of imagined if he were to get emotions where he is just a raving goofball. I thought that was like a great choice and just seeing his like, his excitement for life and all of that was just so much yeah. fun. And then also seeing like the, the trauma of not being able to protect Jordy cause he was so scared when they were attacked right. on the station and then spending the rest of the movie kind of trying to get some sort of a handle on his emotions. I thought was really powerful. And then he cried over spot at the end and I loved it so much. I mean, I don't care if it's corny. I love it. I guess I liked, I liked, so I liked that. And I liked the um, the fear for Jordy's life, and 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 I liked those things. I guess I just didn't want him to be happy. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I liked the dramatic stuff, and and because because to me they were more real reactions. But like when he was just being so over the top silly, like with like stuff that he liked, it was just like very distracting to me. You yeah, know? Like, I hear that. And you know, like yeah. I think seeing it for the first time as an adult is maybe a little more jarring because yeah. as a kid, I'm like, oh, Data's a big kid and I'm a kid and I love it. Yeah. And I'll tell you like that there's four movies with the Next Generation cast and Data's only like this in the first one. Like he does a lot of yay! work. I mean, I was going to watch them all anyway. You but should. Yay! He, he does a lot of work on finding his emotional his center. Yeah. Uh, between the first and second movies. And then can I give you a small spoiler about the second movie with Data's emotions? Is going to ruin it? No, it's a small detail. Um, yeah. But he develops the ability to turn them on and off in like um, intense situations. So if he's really scared right. and like worried 
about performing well under pressure, he can turn his emotions off. So that oh. original Data character is absolutely still there. Um, much more so That's than in this movie. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what fair. It's not dick. fair. What a dick. The go to therapy like the rest of us. Yeah, totally. I just I'm started therapy. therapy. I, I haven't started therapy at all, but I'm just saying. Yeah. I should go to therapy and I know that. It's helpful. <laughs> it's helpful. Especially especially right now when the world is on fire. So Yeah, I've been feeling like I need to see a therapist a lot more lately. Yeah. But I don't know how to get one, especially when you're not going places. Well, I guess. I found someone if you're here in Seattle through a mindful therapy group where they do it all via telehealth and my they're covered by my insurance so it was actually really easy you kind of tell them what it is that you're dealing with and they try to match you up with someone who matches your needs and it was actually okay. a really quick and easy thing and i'm just paying a copay doing it once a week uh and it's just like you know right now we're talking on discord and you might as well be my therapist because this is exactly what it looks like when i talk to a therapist because it's like right here on the computer um, you like set up your whole microphone thing and everything. Well, not the yeah, nice and one. I used to record all of it. I know. <laughs> it's like it's, it's slightly different. Anyway, okay. So data getting his emotions. Um, did you did you feel like a sense of accomplishment for this character who'd wanted emotions, wanted to be more human for seven no, years of the show? It was so abrupt. It was hmm. so abrupt that he was like, you know what? I think I'm gonna do it. Like just yeah. out of nowhere for me. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I was expecting more lead up to him deciding to do that. Him pushing Crusher off of a ship wasn't enough of a jarring moment for you. He pushed Crusher off of a ship. Yeah, when they're doing the wharfs, you know, promotion ceremony on that ship, like the the clipper ship. Oh holiday. yeah, that was not enough. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, my partner Michael watched it with me and he's sitting over there reading a book, but he had to turn around for that. <laughs> <laughs> if he wants to hop in really and tell us what he thought of the movie, he is very welcome to. Yeah, I invited him to, but he didn't want to. He's, oh, that reminds me. Uh Andy was gonna join us and, and wasn't That's able to at the last minute and she wanted oh. me to send her love. And if she gets home Andy. if I she gets home her, before we're done, her. she'll hop on for sure. Because she watched cool. it with me. She just finished Next Generation a few months back. She watched the whole show, <laughs> not even with me the whole time. She like watched most of it on her own, which Hi. made me so proud. But um, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Uh and I have to say that you're so right that William Shatner is the hammiest actor in the universe. It just kind of, it didn't ruin anything at all. It was just so interesting to see the different generations. Right. Oh, oh. oh my oh. God. <laughs> I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... Are we still allowed to smoke pot on these? We almost always exclusively smoke pot on these. Well, we smoke more pot on this show now than we ever did in the past. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Because of, of reasons. I have my, oh my um, God. Ah! unlicensed unlicensed Rick and Morty bong. That's all. I wish our <laughs> listeners could see this. You look great today, by the way. I mean, Thank uh, you. We, have, we used to do those live streams sure where we people gonna, could see you. Yeah, I, w I wasn't sure if we were going to record it or not. And yeah. I never get to get dressed up for anything anymore. So well, it's, also it's also pride. Yeah. I appreciate so, it. Even if it's just so, for me, it's it's yeah, fantastic. Of course, it's 
it's all for you, Damien. I've I've been more into horror lately than sci-fi. Okay. Although there there is a lot of overlap there, sure. but like what? But, what are you watching? Well, uh, we just finished watching all of Channel Zero uh, from Sci-Fi Network. Again, oh, Sci-Fi. Yeah, but uh, I really really liked all of it. What was that? It was on Shutter, but but it's mm. by Sci-Fi. Cool. Um, um, What's so, that about? And Shutter Shutter is totally worth the subscription. No one's paying me to say that. I'm just letting you know <laughs> if you're into horror, Shutter is totally worth like the less than five dollars a month to like get access to all of the horror. Cool. But yeah. um, but it's kind of like American Horror Story. Mm, it's like just less. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, some of the same actors. Every season's a different story. Um, and, but but uh, American Horror Story is very thematic. Like they're like witches, you know, is our thing this season. And uh, and Channel Zero just tends to just write a different fucked up story for every <laughs> for every yeah. season. That's I can't handle anything like that right now. Like my my tolerance I, I, is at zero. I'm Andy and I are almost done rewatching all eleven seasons of Frasier. Yeah, like hard not on that. Hard yeah. not on that. I understand. Uh, I'm a horror fan. Uh, n- n- probably not as much as Michael, but I-, I am a horror. I am almost matching Michael in my horrorness, and because of everything that's going on, I still have to space out my viewings because yeah. I can't just like binge horror for a week for sure because life is horror right now. Yeah. So, but- you know it's hard to it's kind of hard sometimes but but like watching generations made me feel so much better just like returning to like my childhood favorite movie which still is like way high on my list of favorite movies um mm-hmm. absolutely not like the best movie ever made but like my favorite movie you know or among my list of favorite movies it includes like several others it was really fun um i excuse me <coughs> Um, one thing I did want to mention, it is all that weed. Dude, all I do is smoke weed now. Yeah. There's nothing like stopping me from doing it. And it's like ruining my voice. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not, I've got to chill out, but I'm not going to right now. Anyway. Yeah. Um, one well, thing you are that like I all did, these successful bands now these days. It's so cool. I mean, I don't know about successful. <laughs> not saying that mo- to be modest, but. Uh, Razor Clam is definitely doing really well. Rat Queen, I'm not even sure. We're almost like not even a real band. I feel like Rat Queen, like <laughs> like like we we have fun with it and I enjoy it and everything. But because my songwriting partner Daniel DeRozier doesn't live yeah in this city anymore, it's kind of just turned into more of a casual recording project. Yeah, um, we all miss Dan. Yeah, we all miss Dan, Danathy, Danathan. <laughs> um, but uh, but what's it called? You know, it's just more like my it's my little passion project, I guess. Yeah. Like we yeah. like going on yeah. tour. You know, I I want to take it to the next level. You know, but I use some of so much of that energy with Razor Clam, which has some momentum. You know, and which has. So, you know, so I'm just kind of put, pouring more of my efforts into Razor Clam sure, and like sure. the, the band that's here working together now. Yeah. Um, but but Dan and I are going to start some new stuff for, for Rat Queen. That's probably going to sound way different from anything we have ever done before. So I'm really excited. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it. 
yeah, we were bringing in some new blood for writing some of the, yeah, it's going to be cool. Anyway. Cool. Anyway. Sorry. Anyway. So, yes, um, Hammy William check Shatner. Check out my bands, Rat oh, yeah, yeah. and Razor Clam on the band camp or wherever music is streaming because they're both really great. Um, but one of my favorite parts in the whole movie, I've been wanting to just say this yeah. the whole time, is when the fucking ship crashes. Yes. Planet. Yes. I was like, <laughs> for, for, for people at home, I'm, I'm gaping mouth, making a really dumb face yeah. of surprise. But, but like just sitting there fixated on how great that crash. I thought it looked really great. Um, incredible. Like, yeah. it, the, just the, just the size of it, you know, like, like getting really giving us, a sense of the size just how big it is because we only ever see it in space mm. and we don't really know how big space is you know yeah. what i mean like we can't cognitively you know what i mean like we understand that space is unimaginably large but that's you know like we don't understand how big the ship looks there's never anything to compare it to so totally. like it's just it was so cool like i that was like probably my favorite part of the movie was the ship crashes i'm with you i mean i never yeah. knew that like watching my favorite spaceship be destroyed would be uh -huh. so wonderful because it's it's incredible <laughs> like first of all they do a saucer separation which we haven't seen since like the first oh, season exactly i was like holy shit they're doing it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and then the that i think that is still maybe one of my favorite special effects of all time <laughs> Because they actually filmed a six-foot model of the saucer section. A six-foot model? Crashing so into... Like a tiny. They built That's a great. miniature valley, and then they crashed a model into it over and over and shot it over and over and then slowed it down to create those shots. So most of that no is in camera. It looks so good. It's yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. It looks so I real. Miss, I miss practical effects. I know. Sometimes. Me too. And this I movie... This is like the example of mixing practical effects with CG in a really effective way. Because the Nexus, yeah, the They've Nexus is one of my that. favorite special effects of all time. I think the Nexus looks incredible. This like energy ribbon, like sparkling through space, looks yeah. so good. And that's all CGI. But then like all really the ship great. shots were all models and really, really fantastic. For the, I mean, for the most part, it's all models in this movie. And there's a couple times where it's like, oh wow, that is a model. Like when you see the Enterprise B. In the beginning, when the the deflector dish is like blown off and Kirk is seemingly killed, right, when they right, zoom right. back from that and there's like little stick figure characters standing inside of this wrecked ship, it's like that is a model. But yeah. then like, the Enterprise <laughs> D crashing looks like a fucking huge spaceship crashing into the ground, and it is awesome. <laughs> it was so fucking cool. I'm still not over it. Like yeah. Just great, just great. And seeing what's happening on all the decks, like you yeah. don't just get a, 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 you don't just get a sense of the size from the outside, but also like the size of like the amount of people, you know what I mean? That are actually living yeah. on that ship. They're just living their fucking lives and that shit is like. Oh, we, we just lost you. That shit is what? And that shit is just like crashing into a planet. Oh and there's yeah, literally totally. like probably grandparents parents and children on that you know yeah. what i mean like it's a family ship generations <laughs> and that like jordy is saving all these children and there's that one little girl who loses loses her stuffed animal and she like wants to grab it 
I turned to Annie. I'm like, that's the moment she turned to a life of crime. <laughs> that's it. She sucks now. Yeah. And Jord- <laughs> like when they have the, the warp core breach incoming and Jordy for the last time, coolant leak, coolant leak, everyone get out of here. And then he does his like tuck and roll under the, the doors as they're coming down. It like his most <laughs> glorious tuck and roll. He's done it so, so many good. times. Like if yeah. you're going to leave engineering because of a coolant leak and a incoming warp core breach, you have to tuck and roll. You have to be the last one out and do a tuck and roll. Is, is it? Do you? Do yes. you? <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, is it more effective somehow? <laughs> I think that like he has to be the last one out because he's the chief engineer and he's making sure everyone's out. And like he has trained to get under the door at the last second to make sure that everyone else is out. I'm just wondering if that's actually the most efficient way to get out of the door as quickly as possible or, it, yeah. or if they just did it to look cool. Well, they also have transporters, so they might be able to beam him out, but that's that's besides the point. It just looks cool. I'm just wondering. Yeah. I'm just wondering. It's one of those things that, like, I don't care if it makes sense because I love it. It just makes me laugh. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this movie also is kind of built on the premise of making Captain Kirk and Captain Picard come across each other and meet and work together. And as, like, a lifelong Star Trek nerd, that is just you know, like catnip for me. I, I just right. love it. And seeing those two generations come together because Kirk is like <laughs> the king of ham. <laughs> because Kirk is like so fucking hammy in his performance. Yeah. And I had not watched the original series when I first saw this, but I think I'd seen all of Kirk's movies. Because this is uh-huh. the seventh Star Trek movie, but the first with Captain Picard, the original six all had Kirk uh, and his crew. So I was very familiar with Kirk and getting to see... <laughs> the sort of passing of the baton of the movie franchise from one captain to the next. It's just for me as like a, a Star Trek nerd, it's just such a wonderful thing that they did for the fans to make that story work, to have those two meet. Yeah. I I remember watching it and thinking, this is probably a really big deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, but yeah. only for like this, the, the initiated, you know, because people love that crossover shit. Yeah. This is like the crisis on infinite Star Trek Earths, you know? Um, Yeah. Um, Do you know who I hated? Who? The fucking guy at the beginning um, when Kirk is like on the bridge of this grand opening of the fucking Enterprise. The new captain? Captain The new captain? Yeah, Yeah. that guy. Yeah. he was whack. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I love that. I love the opening scene. Like, the whole idea of being, too, being on, like, like, a him. paparazzi mission yeah. where, like, they're going they're gonna, like going on a tour of Pluto and back. They're christening this new ship, smashing a yeah. champagne bottle against why it. Why are they saying it's... Why, why, do, why do people insist on doing things like that before the ship is ready? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's just a big ceremony. They had no intention of, of doing anything valuable that day besides like a but, big press that's event what an emergency is right exactly <laughs> i love it i love the idea that like they get a distress call they have to go help they don't have a tractor beam they don't have photon torpedoes it's all arriving next tuesday they don't have a ship's complement no, the captain is not I, even emotionally prepared to captain anything he's um, like uh, uh. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's no. Great. Okay. So I'm not saying that I didn't like that in the movie because yeah, I yeah. did. I'm yeah. just saying if I were there, I'd be like, "What the fuck, you guys?" Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that? I mean, Kirk like waited for the invitation to take over. Do you think that that was actually the wrong thing to do? Should he have just said, hey, you don't know what you're doing, Captain. I do. Sit down. I'm taking over. I don't know. I they think could have saved that... more lives, maybe, if he had moved faster. I don't know. Maybe. I understand why he did it. He doesn't want to be that guy. You yeah. know, like, like yeah. it's not his ship, and he knows it's not his ship. And, you know, like... They're part of a, they're in the military, you know, you know what I mean? They're in a fleet and like, right. there's, there's a chain of command. So it's not like he's going to just like not do that. But he know? is a, above captain now in the chain of command. I believe he's an admiral at this point. And he, oh, could he, just, he could just say, hey, like, well, he's retired, but he could say, instead of like pacing around waiting for this captain. He's retired. Yeah. Instead of pacing yeah, around waiting for this new captain who's completely out of his depth to take action, he could have said, hey. Uh, if you'd like, I can step in because I have some ideas, you know, like, like been nice about it. Yeah. 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 Because like the That's first, true. there's two ships of El Arian refugees, um, mm -hmm. which is Guinan's species. And of course, Guinan is on one of those ships, which is fucking thrilling. Oh um, my God. I lost <laughs> it. I lost it. I yeah. was like, oh shit. Why is it always you, Guinan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like only like 47 of her crewmates, I don't remember the numbers, but one ship was completely destroyed and most of her crewmates or, ref or fellow refugees were killed. And I just kept thinking well, they could have saved a few more lives. And I mean, good on them for saving anyone, but, and mm -hmm. I mean, these are all fictional characters and no life was actually lost, but you know, like, we're, we're you know, that's what, you know, yeah. what would, what would you do? What would you do? Yeah. Uh, but we also <laughs> meet the, the main villain, the big bad of the movie, Dr. Tolian Soren, played by Malcolm McDowell. I fucking knew that guy was the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I took one look at him and I was like, that's. Yeah, uh, you're cutting in and so out a little villainous. bit, unfortunately. He looked so villainous. Yeah. What did you think of Tolian Soren as the bad guy? Uh, I thought he was good. I thought he was good. Yeah. Yeah. I love sure. him. I think he's fantastic. Yeah. I love that... The I was very frustrated with him, which I think is what you're supposed to be. So. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I, because in most Star Trek movies, Earth is at stake you know yeah in a lot of the movies earth is at stake and i love mm -hmm. that what's at stake in this movie is a whole planet full of like millions of intelligent individuals that we never see uh we're just heard about like the um the people on viridian 2 i think or viridian 4 or something because we go to viridian 3 which is uninhabited but there's another planet in the viridian system that has you know like a pre-industrial society and, and the shockwave is going to kill them, right? Exactly, yeah. And yeah. Sor and Soren's entire plan is that he just wants to get back to the Nexus, which is this place of pure joy where he won't have to think about any of the people that he's murdered to get there. And he can just live right. in joy. It's kind of like, he's kind of like a drug addict in a way. It's like he's oh, experienced well, this pure saying. bliss. Was, like these people are literally just talking about doing heroin right yeah, now. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's what's happening. Yeah. Basically, yeah. It's so interesting to think about. Which like, is so interesting to think about. Sorry. <laughs> You're interrupting with the same exact words. Go for it. 
I was going to say Guinan mm-hmm. has been there. That's where I'm going. Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah, so it's interesting to think about her as a drug addict, essentially a recovering drug addict. Yeah, like that's she's kind of just in recovery, like totally because of the way she's talking about how she tries not to think about it. Yeah, you know? to- that's, I think totally the implication is that like all of yeah. these, well, first of all, all these refugees are on their way to Earth because their planet was destroyed by the Borg. And then on their way, they get swept up into a land of pure bliss. And then, yeah. they, get, then they get ripped out of it. Um, and that must have been like so awful. And, right. and it makes sense that Tolly and Soren is going to spend the rest of his existence thinking about the Nexus and trying to get back because he like his world has been ripped away from him literally mm-hmm. and his family has been killed by the borg and he thinks he's like this nihilist now who thinks that life and everything is meaningless and all that matters is getting back to the nexus and it's very similar to like a heroin addict who's you know mm-hmm. turned to drugs to deal with some sort of pain and that pain is just like snap of the fingers that pain is gone and mm-hmm. that's all you can think about is getting back to it it makes his story sort of um empathetic in a way and i love i love when villains are empathetic and obviously the means with which he's willing to go to to get back to the nexus are so extreme and so disgusting and horrible and the fact that he doesn't give a shit about any other life besides his own is despicable but like his quest to get there is compelling and it makes a great villain and i i really love that in this movie yeah i agree i agree i think that i don't know i didn't feel that empathetic towards him ever because he's such a piece of shit sure. but like yeah, absolutely but but who who really got me about the whole story was Guinan because yes. yeah. it kind of just removes it kind of sheds light on like on like that the stigma put on people who have been addicted to drugs in a yeah. lot of ways because she's like a very respected person you know that people come to for advice she's very wise She's got her life together, you know, she's giving other advice and it turns out she's basically a drug addict, you know what I mean? And like, it just, people like to think bad things about people who are in recovery when it's Oh man, I'm so sorry. You keep cutting in and out. I keep losing words that you're saying. People like to think bad things of people who are in recovery and then I lost you. Oh, um, which isn't really fair. Absolutely. It's not fair, you know, because people go through what they go through and, and come out of the other side. And, they, you know, I don't know. There's just a lot of stigma on people who are recovering from drug addiction. And yeah. I think that something like a character like Guinan going through something very similar. I lost you completely. I see your face moving, but I don't hear words coming out of your mouth. <laughs> check, 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 check. Um, let's, check. let's try cutting the video and just going audio and see if, if that helps. Okay. okay. Sure. Turn it off camera. Okay. Um, so all I'm saying is <laughs> that my, one of my favorite parts of the movie is shedding light on the stigma of that sort of thing because Guinan is so wise. Yeah. And it turns out that she went through this harrowing experience that people usually frown upon. And yeah. she's and a mean, wise, respected character. Yeah, she didn't choose to go into the Nexus. She was no. pulled there but and then spends like the rest of her life trying to forget about it because it was this place of pure bliss mm-hmm. um yeah i think that's like a really powerful story and then also yeah. sheds a lot of light on what happens later in the movie when picard ends up in the nexus and then meets kirk there 
and has to convince Kirk to leave. And, you know, Kirk makes a really good point. He's like, I've been saving the universe since your grandfather was in diapers. And I think the universe owes me one. Like, this is, you know, like, why can't I stay here um, and enjoy this? Um, But yeah, and then then there's all these themes of like, well, this isn't real. And things that aren't real don't have as much meaning. And this is a place where, like, I, yeah, I mean, this is an interesting idea. It's like, you know, Kirk jumps that that jump on his horse and doesn't feel the thrill of it because it wasn't real. And that's when he decides to leave because he realizes right. that even if he catches up with Antonia and asks her to marry him this time, it won't actually be Antonia and he can't live with the <laughs> knowledge of it being false. Whereas right. like someone like Soren doesn't care about reality and only wants the fantasy. And that's an interesting right. juxtaposition. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't even care about other people. Yeah. So to him people are just players in his life as it is so he doesn't care about living like that yeah yeah and yeah i think i was thinking about that like how would i feel in that situation and a part of why i love this movie is because i love like the fantasy of the nexus and i know it's like total space magic it's not based in real science at all it's like it's not really even science fiction it's fantasy you know like you get pulled into this <laughs> fantasy land and it's interesting to think like, what if I went there? What would I do there? How, like, what would the Nexus create for me? Definitely mm-hmm. not this like Charles Dickens Christmas that Picard makes for himself. That which was is, weird. It's so <laughs> weird. It's like, it's pretty, it's pretty lame. Let's be real. Like, dude, really? That's yeah. like, that's what you want? All right. Yeah. It's, it's like the it's one like place in the movie creepily, where. <laughs> creepily well-behaved children. Yeah. And the, <laughs> weirdly liberated yet submissive somehow wife yep <laughs> so yeah it's Men creepy. Are weird it's creepy yeah <laughs> it's the one thing where i'm like you had the whole universe of of whatever to create whatever for picard as his ultimate fantasy and and you put him into like a christmas story like charles dickens novel it doesn't. It doesn't make sense to me. It kind of works with the character, given what we know of the character, but only only just enough to not like completely rip me out of the movie. But I'll, I mean, even the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, "Wait, it's Christmas now! Like, what are we doing?" Um, whereas, like, I think that Kirk's to live in a Christmas land. Yeah. Whereas, like, Kirk's experience in the Nexus, I think, rings a lot truer with Kirk's character, um, and is a lot more entertaining and interesting. Right. Like him trying to cook eggs in this you know, log cabin in the woods for his lady love, you know. Those I, weird eggs. Yeah. I like how the eggs were like weird alien eggs. Yeah, they're like Tamarian eggs or something. Yeah. You gotta have, it's like, whatever it is on Earth, it's an egg, but then you just put like an alien name in front of it. You know, yeah. it's all Deborah and whiskey. Or- <laughs> it <was> like, <laughs> you know, Klingon coffee. Well, I guess they just call that Ractagino, so that's different. But, Klingon coffee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I guess that makes sense. Like, if it's an egg and we call things eggs and it's from a different planet, the Tamarian eggs. That makes sense. That's fine. Yeah. I'm fine with it. Whatever. Yeah. I just thought it was, I just liked how they looked. I want to eat them. I know. They, they just like, it's just Easter. They're just painting eggs. <laughs> <laughs> like speckled orange, yellow eggs. That's um, great. Yeah. And I also love the flow of this movie. You know, you start with this prologue where you are introduced to Kirk and Scotty and Chekhov and Kirk quote unquote dies. And then you meet the Enterprise D cast. So like the, the intro has nothing to do with 
a bulk of the movie besides to just kind of introduce the Nexus and Soren. And I love that. I love a prologue in a movie. I love mm-hmm. that. And I love when the prologue comes into play later on. Like when we find Kirk again um, in the Nexus, I turned to Annie. I'm like, did you expect Kirk to be here? And she's like, no. And you know, <laughs> watching the movie the first time, I'm like, there's no way Kirk's dead. Kirk and Picard have I to meet. I full-on expected him to be in there. For sure. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I feel like it's it's very... Like, if you think about it, you'll probably guess it. But if you don't think about yeah. it and you're just along for the ride, you won't. And I love that kind yeah. of stuff. I love I, You yeah. don't have to hide your surprises, you know? Oh, no, no, not at all. Yeah, that's great. I wish that I had been surprised because that would have been so fun. Yeah. Uh, but because I knew that they weren't killing him in the first... You know, when I watch movies, I'm like, well, where's this story? I'm always trying to figure out where the story is going. Right, me so, too. Me too. <laughs> so, like, Yeah. I didn't for a second think that he had died. For sure. And I, so, I love that like two thirds of the way through the movie, the the ship that you spend seven years watching on The Next Generation is destroyed. And then it looks yeah. like the entire cast and crew is like destroyed when Soren is originally successful. And then we go yeah. into this like crazy fantasy land, which is really interesting I and didn't exciting. See the time and then travel coming. I didn't see the time the travel. Time tra- coming. Yeah. 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 I mean, I feel like it. it is like the first time I watched this, I was like, okay, they can't kill the main cast because they're going to make more movies. So they're going to go back somehow yeah. and, and reset right. this. But even when you're in the Nexus, they keep saying time has no meaning here. You can leave at any point. I'm like, okay, well, he's going to leave before the crew is dead <laughs> and like try to stop this horrible thing from happening. But just like the overall flow of the movie and the flow of the story, I find to be extremely satisfying. And it kind of right. dips in and out of this like fantasy back into science fiction, back into fantasy, back into science fiction. And it, it, it's this really great um, meshing of those two genres. And I I know I'm kind of a hypocrite here because I often complain about when Star Trek gets too fantastical because I like it to be grounded more in science. But I love when Star Trek gets spiritual. And I feel like the Nexus is a very spiritual experience for the people who go there. And and that way it kind of reveals something about the character and spirit of the people who go. And I love that. I think that that's great classic Star Trek. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to think about if I like that. Yeah. I guess I'm indifferent. Yeah. It's fine. If it's done well, everything's fine, I guess. Yeah. What about the the Duras sisters making their return and ultimate demise? That was dope. That was dope. They were cool. (laughs) Yeah. They They were just... So power hungry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, their arc yeah. makes a lot of sense. They're just looking for this like weapon that Soren yeah. is trying to sell them. And Soren is using them to, to try to move the Nexus um, right. to come to him. I love it. It's so well plotted. I love it. Yeah. So many mo- little moving parts, right. more moving parts than I would have expected. The scene, um, the scene in stellar cartography, when data and Picard are not just talking about Data's emotions and how Data's not allowed to deactivate himself, but also like trying to get the realizing what Soren is doing, trying to move the Nexus. It's such a great scene, dude. Can we talk about how that room looks? I know, right? Oh, it's so good. I love that room. I was that was you know what I forgot about that. But that was so when it was happening, I was just like jaw to the floor. I was like, that looks so fucking cool. Yeah. Um. And how like they the the computer you know like there's no screen you uh-huh. know what I mean like it's uh-huh. just like a projection it, right. I don't know it's cool 
it yeah. was cool. And I yeah. also, I love the idea that, you know, Data is struggling so much with his emotions that he wants to be deactivated. And Picard is like, no, you are not allowed to be deactivated. You know, <laughs> I, this is like a really powerful moment. Yeah. Well, none of the rest of us are right. allowed to be deactivated. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's an interesting examination of like this character asking for something for seven years. He wants emotions. He finally gets it. And then he just wants to give up immediately because yeah. it's so overwhelming. It's, it's cool. It's powerful. I really like it. Um, and yeah, I mean, that stellar cartography set is incredible. There was a different stellar cartography during the show where they just have like this globe in front of them. Like that episode, uh, Lessons, where Picard is dating that girl and they've got his flute um, and they play music together. I think that's the episode oh, right. where we see stellar cartography. So they've like... But it's just like a, a thing, like a big globe, right? Yeah, just like in the middle of a small room. So they right, obviously got yeah. a completely different stellar cartography lab. They've upgraded since the show. And I love well, it. Well, they have a fucking holodeck and then what? They're using a globe for cartography? <laughs> you know, like... Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah, maybe they like, took that what? little room and made this it a holodeck. And that's how so it looks now. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh um, my god! The yeah. holiday, the the holodeck scene. Yeah, on the ship. So great. HMS Enterprise. I, I love um, Troy and and Crusher in their sailor outfits. I know. <laughs> I love it. That was so good because it's not adjusted to look. On, on a lot of television, you see stuff be adjusted you know adjusted masculine stuff to make it more feminine you know what i mean like mm. like instead of giving them a cut you know that's like supposed to be feminine they just like you know it's just good it was just good costuming good mm. costuming is what yeah. i'm saying like it just looked like very futuristic and as much as like the sexism stuff isn't as much of an issue and like you know that's it was cool. just cool yeah yeah that's interesting. Like I like it a lot yeah. Um, and it's so fun to see them all kind of celebrating yeah. Worf's promotion in this way and implying that they've been doing this for years. Like, no, like he'll never catch, like, reach the hat when he jumps off the plank. Riker's like, yeah, no one ever has before, implying that they've done this before, uh-huh. which I love. Because you can yeah, totally they, imagine these people doing that. It's yeah. a tradition. Yeah. Yeah, I loved that. That was so funny. And my big complaint about a lot of, like, TV to film jumps for franchises is that they leave all the character stuff out. And I feel like generations as a whole has more character stuff than an average episode of TNG would have. They Mm -hmm. like packed it full of what I love the most, which is character. It's so great. Right. Yeah. Like Picard losing his family in the beginning and, and suffering that massive loss, which kind of informs his arc throughout the whole movie I thought was super powerful and well well put together. That was so sad. He was like, wow, my lineage is dying out. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It got me thinking about that too. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. But I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) The only, I'll tell you, the only thing that I... children so <laughs> you're not having kids you've decided no <laughs> yeah yeah i always wanted kids when i was younger um but like i've been dealing with this weird health stuff for the last few years where i wouldn't be able to have kids in my current situation which right. is really difficult like i never thought my health flare-up would last for four years and now like we've been having a lot of discussions about you know 
what if what if this isn't a flare up what if this is like a permanent condition like what do i do right. to change my life and i probably wouldn't have kids in that scenario yeah. so it's interesting how like life plans can change ow <laughs> i bit into ice the wrong way anyway it's fine i love chewing ice it's so good but it's a risk yeah, it is a risk. Anyway, yeah, no, I understand. Yeah, that sucks. For me, it's, it's, um, I don't want to, it's just like, I can't afford anything. Yeah. So, that's, like, that's real for sure. You know, like, and, and, uh, it, but I mean, not that I would want to if I could necessarily. I'm just saying that that for me, a long time ago, before I decided that regardless i wanted to be child free a long time ago i was like i wouldn't have kids because i can't afford them and i don't want to you know i grew up really poor you know and like i'm poorer than that you know so mm. like <laughs> i don't know it just i decided a long time ago that i was not gonna have kids because i can't afford them so yeah. um well what if you could go to the nexus and have a bunch of creepy children I don't want them in my house. <laughs> so <laughs> there's also that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I love kids, but I like teaching kids. I don't mm. need to have them at home. Yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what the future holds. You never know. Um, but... You got something? Yes. Well, I was going to say the... There's like one thing that I don't love about this movie, which is Jordy being tor tortured, like chained and tortured by, by Dr. Soren. Uh -huh. um, and it's something I've been thinking about recently. Like something that was pointed out to me is that in a lot of movies, when, when a character is chained or tortured, it is often a black man. And that was right. like very much on my mind during that scene. It's like, wow, the only character in this whole movie that is tortured is a black man. And he's like, put, put in chains and tortured. And it's really Think disturbing. Yeah. Oh. And it, it makes sense for the story because they're like hijacking his visor and he's the only character who has the visor. But that's also something they've done before on the show where they like hijacked his visor to spy on, on him. Like right. there's a whole episode about that in the show. He needs to figure that out. Spoiler alert. This is the last time you see the visor. He gets like bionic eyes in the next episode or in the next so movie. I've, I've seen that movie. You have, I, but that's the only thing that I remember about it. Literally <laughs> the only, only thing. No visor. And my mom, my mom used to work at a, at a movie theater back in 1998. Okay. So, um, I saw that movie and a lot of other movies. So yeah. like, there's just like one or two scenes that I remember from like so many movies, you yeah. know what I mean? Like I have I like fleeting memories. Of yeah. I think 98 yeah. was, would have been insurrection if I'm remembering correctly, because I think that sounds correct. Yeah. There's first contact is next and it is like most people's first contact let me look at the poster because that the, i would remember first contact is the borg movie that's most people's favorite next generation what's movie the, what's the next movie insurrection is when they there's like this planet that has the fountain of youth and but they that, all but that's the next movie insurrection the very next one is first contact after generations and then is insurrection oh, okay. and then nemesis and nemesis i think was in like 2000 early 2000s oh it was 96 it was 1996. I okay. always do that. 
It was so. It was first contact. Oh, it was first contact. Okay. Um. Yeah. It was from. I always come confuse those two. My sixes and my eight. Interesting. So you saw um, that movie but, years before you saw any other Star Trek: The Next Generation. Any other Star Trek? I just saw it because it was there, and like it was probably summertime. I'm assuming. Yeah. Was it a summer blockbuster? Probably. Um. That would be interesting to know, also. But um. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I just saw like every movie for from like 1998 to like or 96 from 96 to probably like 2000. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> maybe though. a little, maybe a little earlier than that. 99, maybe. But anyway, yeah. um, let's take a look. But when... yeah, that's all I remember about it. So I will watch it again. Let's take a look at when first contact came out let's see the eighth feature film blue 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 96 you nailed it um it came out november 1996 november yeah okay that's interesting well anyway i saw it yeah yeah well I you gotta i'm curious to see what you think of it if, watching it again um because it's a great it's a great movie i love it and the other two insurrection nemesis i really like a lot but are nowhere near as good in my opinion but still uh -huh. very good. Like these first two generations in First Contact was like this one-two punch of like, wow, your favorite show has ended, but damn, they're making some good movies out of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like overall, did you find this like a satisfying continuation of the story of The Next Generation and, and continuation of these characters? I think that for me personally, uh, maybe it was a little bit of a slow burner hmm. more than I would like. I get, I have kind of a short attention span though. So like, sometimes I get like, like a little kid, I visibly get like very like, you know, like I like get fussy. Like I start moving around a lot and like, when is something going to happen? Yeah. And, um, and, but, but I enjoyed the movie. Like I, you know, like I definitely enjoyed the movie. It was just like, there were, there were just there. It, it's just a very slow movie, you know, mm. I feel, um, for for some of it some of it's very slow but yeah. i don't know the action was was really good i liked the fight on the bridge um like when when kirk and jean-luc are fighting what's his face uh soren when they soren when when like L like, like the, the outdoor him. bridge not the bridge of yeah, the yeah, enterprise yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah not the bridge of the enterprise the outdoor yeah. bridge yeah like that sort of bridge um that was really great um some good choreography i don't know I, th I liked it i liked the movie a lot yeah. how would you and rate it like out of 10 out of 10 i would give it a solid seven yeah and what did you I think of the say. death of kirk i mean that's it was shocking at the time and there's stories that malcolm mcdowell received death death threats from fans for his character killing kirk in the movie i was not super into him dying hmm. <laughs> i wanted but because not 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 for writing I, the writing is fine i was as a fan sad about that i was like yeah. give him what he wants he just wants to retire and like have a you know like ah you know like he had just stated like that he saved the universe so many times or whatever and like it owes him one and i was like oh no now he has to die i was upset yeah i love it i love it because i don't think james t kirk would be able to be happy in retirement i think that 
so di- dying, so saving, diving, <laughs> saving millions of people, um, I think is like a fitting end for this hero, you know, like giving his life to save an entire okay. planet full of people. That makes sense. Yeah. And like, okay, he's, I'll concede that he's pulled out That's of his time. He's like, not gonna, he's going to feel completely overwhelmed by being in the 24th century. Um, this like 80 years in the future from, from when he, I think he would love it. You think so? Maybe. Yeah. I think he'd love yeah. it. I think well, he'd <laughs> get back in the game. I think he'd get back out there. Yeah. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I did read a book where Borg nanotechnology was used to bring him back to life immediately after. <laughs> Ew, like a reanimated zombie kind of thing? Or? Yeah, but it like became really Kirk at some point, I think. I don't remember. I read it years ago and I didn't like it very much. But um, <laughs> And it's not canon. So, yeah, I... I I appreciated the the ballsiness of the writers to be like, oh, we could kill Captain Kirk, you know? It's pretty it's pretty ballsy. I and it really, you know, I like when movies have real stakes and have real loss. Mm-hmm. And that was a real loss, you know, like Captain Kirk was killed. No, uh, yeah, no, it was the right call. I was just sad. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, like yeah. I'm not saying they should should have done something else. Yeah. It was was so like immersed in it and was like no he's dead yeah i mean (laughs) for me like this movie fills in this very particular nostalgia like the moment this movie comes on i just feel like i'm wrapped up in a blanket of warm comfortable star trek there's no moment of this movie that makes me up like I, I, for me personally, because it's like all my favorite characters, it doesn't feel slow to me at all. It feels like so well paced. This mm-hmm. movie does a lot of things, like very like particular things that I love and have continued to love for the rest of my life because this movie did them. Like this idea of, you know, the prologue and then like the, another story starting after and then those stories meeting up later. Just structurally, this movie does a lot of things that are like some of my favorite storytelling that I've ever seen. Like this movie is a 10 out of 10 for me. And I know that it is clunky. I know that it has some weird moments. I mean, it's a 10 for you. Did you say it's a 10 out of 10? Yeah. Because I enjoy the feeling. I'm going to like the later ones more. I enjoy this movie more than almost any other movie I've ever seen. It's like way up there for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I, a good movie. Yeah. It's if I wasn't movie. if I wasn't a next generation fan, I'm sure I wouldn't feel that way, you know? Like mm-hmm. I it's because I had a whole childhood full of watching and rewatching all those episodes. Right. And also like I was not into big budget action movies as a kid. And mm-hmm. all of my friends were like they're all watching RoboCop and shit and I wasn't allowed to watch it cuz it was too violent. I watched it as an adult and it's a great movie, but damn that shit is violent. RoboCop is violent. <laughs> Oh, it is. It's not. That's not a kids' movie. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. And like also, people, I fucking love RoboCop. And if you ever want to talk about Ro- RoboCop, yeah. <laughs> I am down because I've got a lot to say about that. Yeah. But um, it's a great movie. Uh, I have it on VHS and and Starship Troopers. Yeah, do a double feature. The Paul Verhoeven yeah. collection. Oh, so great. Yeah. Anyways, well, Starship um, Troopers. That's a great example. Like elementary school kids were gaga for it. And yeah. I hated it as a kid. It was too violent for me. I love it now. Like, I watch it as an adult. I'm like, oh, my God, this is an amazing movie. I was so wrong. But, like, I was such a Star Trek nerd. 
and I wasn't into. So, oh, so I'm so sorry to interrupt, but that's <laughs> the thought that I was trying to get out real quick. Yeah, I was gonna say, would you say that it's a better movie for people who are like lifelong fans? Yes. Um, okay, cool. Because there's yeah. more of a like fan. Not, I don't want to say fan service because it minimizes how good the movie actually is. Yeah. But like, it's just kind of like more geared towards people who have yeah watched the whole thing and like when it was happening and everything. Yeah. Maybe it's because I'm so removed from it that I think that some of it was just slow because I'm just watching it as like a movie and not like. Yeah. Whereas this I'm like, whole, oh my god, not a cultural experience. You know, like every second yeah. we get to spend on the Enterprise knowing yeah. like rewatching it knowing that it's about to be destroyed is my last right. moment on my favorite ship and right. every moment is is precious of this movie to right. me right i for a fact know that there's more after this movie so well not on the same enterprise though no no but i'm just saying that like that some of that that uh not i don't want to uh what's not anxiety anticipation some of that anticipation is like geared towards the fact that th there's only this movie that you know about when you first watch it you know right, what i mean when it right. came out for me i'm like there's a wealth of star trek after this movie you sure, know where absolutely. i'm gonna get to see those same characters everything's gonna be fine you yeah know? <laughs> like, yeah so and yeah i mean you, i can never remove myself from the first yeah. experience of watching it which was like yeah. utter elation all yeah. throughout I, like, I want a movie to grab me emotionally and then take me somewhere. And I want it to be, I want it to have, like, you know, big moments, like, big sci-fi ideas and maybe a little bit of, like, spirituality. And and I want to learn about the human condition and learn about these characters' arcs and drama and emotion. And um, right. this movie has everything that I like. And I, I know that there's a lot of longtime fans of Star Trek who think this movie is trash. Um, oh really it's yeah not, because uh, yeah. you know there's those there's always going to be that person and right and there's all sorts of videos on youtube about why generations is like a horrible movie and um and i see why some of these things exist because this movie does pander a little bit like the whole mm -hmm. idea of having kirk and picard on screen together in and of itself is fan service and is kind of pandering to this this desire to see those two captains work together, you know, like, which right. like people have been talking about since day one of next generation, like Kirk versus Picard. Um, but what about Kirk and Picard together working together? And they finally did it, you know? So, but I also think that the, this movie has an individual quality that just works for me personally more than almost any movie. Like this is like the Fern Gully of Star Trek. If that makes sense, like I loved no. Fern Gully I have no idea what so much that. as a kid. There's something about like the the tactile experience of Fern Gully that um, the idea that there's this like magical place in this forest where amazing things happen that you can travel to when you go through this movie. That's how I feel about the Nexus. Is like there's this place where you can like your wildest fantasies are become real, and. Um, and it's just like so enthralling to me. Like this is just like my perfect movie. You know, it's like for right. for me. Not to say that it's the best movie ever, but as far as my personal aesthetic and tastes, not just is it my favorite characters and favorite shows, but I just love the story. I love the Nexus. I love Guinan. I think that Soren is an incredible bad guy. There's great character moments for all of the main cast. Picard's uh -huh. arc is fantastic with his the loss of his family and him kind of recognizing how life is for the living and he needs to keep on living 
the special effects are insanely good you know i think the special effects were probably i think the special effects are probably my favorite part of the whole movie yeah um i really enjoyed that i really enjoyed the practical effects um and there was a lot to enjoy about that movie and even though it wasn't like my favorite movie in the whole world it did make me want to like keep watching the rest of the movies you know like i'm now i want to watch the next one so like you know i want to see what happens because it's like new stories yeah it's new stories from that same cast so and i want to know what you think of it when you watch it you got to let me know when you've seen it yeah yeah i want to rewatch it too it's great alfrey woodard is in it she's james cromwell is in it it's so good (laughs) it's like i think in my mind it's like equally as good as as generations um i think the fan consensus is that first contact is the superior of the two but in my heart, I love First Contact. I think it's also probably a 10 out of 10. I got to rewatch it. It might be a 9.5 right. out of 10 for me. But in my heart, Generations was the first next-gen <laughs> movie. And it has right. this like spiritual catharsis in it that, that I just love. <laughs> like, when, when Kirk is dying and he's like, it was fun, you know? Yeah. There's, no, there's yeah. no anger that this mission killed him. And then his last words of like, oh my, as he looks off and sees eternity is great. It's so oh, good. That was terrifying. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, what are you looking at? Why are you saying, oh my? Yeah. And like, <laughs> what's on the other side? <laughs> I, I have since gone back and watched all of the original series. And then, like, watching this movie now, I have more of a connection to Kirk and the original cast than I did as a kid. And I and I love it on that level as well. And mm-hmm. you know, from from my tastes, this is the most satisfying movie they could have made. Awesome! Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I'm not even sure they could have done better necessarily. You know, I um, because like I said, me saying that it's slow doesn't slow to me is like normal to everyone else i yeah, feel like totally. you know like i i just get i get so i just have an attention span thing it's probably yeah. because i smoke so much weed <laughs> but like <laughs> but like yeah like you know it's so i'm just saying like it's not even necessarily actually slow i was just like wanting to see what happened next yeah. at certain points oh, i think that's yeah. a fair critique though i mean it's an early yeah. 90s movie the pace is very different yeah. from what we have now but, that, but that's the thing that was the norm back then so i can't really say that it's a critique because i'm not i'm watching that from some you know from a, the perspective of someone who's watching it now you sure. know like movies are very different now in a lot of ways absolutely <laughs> Well, Jeff, so. this was awesome. It's been amazing to see yeah. your lovely face. Um, I loved it. Yeah. Let's do another chat after a couple more moves. I'd love that. It's been yeah. so good to have you back. Yeah. It's been so long. Thanks for having me. Anytime, of Thanks course. Thanks for having me. You were the um, original space nerd before this was even called Space Nerds. Yeah. You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank all you right, all for you. listening. Jeff, do you have any final thoughts or any, any, you want to plug anything? Your social media, feel free. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to plug anything anymore. Yeah. Society's different. Black Lives Matter and defund the police. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yeah.
Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of important things happening in the world that we yeah. need to be paying attention to and taking constant action to try mm -hmm. to get our world back on track so we can make this Star Trek future happen. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to get out there on the streets to help felicitate change. Call your congressman, call your senator. Uh, you can do those things from home. So there's there's lots of ways you can contribute. Absolutely. Uh, well said. So, yeah. Cool. That's the best plug you could have had, Jeff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Happy Pride, everybody. Happy Pride. All right, Jeff, thank you so much. This was awesome. It was lovely to see you. Thank you, listeners, for listening. Finally getting to talk about one of my all-time favorite movies. So excited. Uh, and until next time, stay nerdy out there. Space Nerds is listener-funded through Patreon. To support the show and gain access to bonus content, sign up at patreon.com slash spacenerdspodcast. If you love this show, help us spread the word by sharing it on your favorite social media platform or leaving us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you can find our show. If you have a question or comment you'd like the Space Nerds to discuss in the next episode, email us at spacenerdspodcast at gmail.com. To browse our complete library of episodes or check out my sci-fi synth-pop music and music videos, visit my website at jessemercury.com. Keep it spacey, baby!